Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you I've come to realize that the number one leadership challenge is lack of understanding of who a leader is. I think that misunderstanding of who a leader is is the number one leadership challenge in our world today. And so sometimes we call people leaders who are not leaders, and we call people good leaders who are not good leaders. And so we have to start today from understanding who a leader is. So a leader is someone who influences people positively towards the achievement of um, specific expected goals. So anyone who influences people positively is a leader. So leadership simply means influence. There are many definitions, but this is what I think is clear enough. Leadership is what? Influence. This is John Maxwell's definition. I think it's good to go with that because John Maxwell is now the greatest leadership expert of all time. You know, and so his definition is worth um, adopting. Leadership is influence. Everybody say leadership is influence. Okay, so if you forget anything today, at least I don't want you to forget this, that leadership is what? Influence, influence, influence. So what is the meaning of influence? Somebody will ask, what is influence? Because if you tell somebody leadership is influence, but you don't understand what influence is, then you haven't said anything. So what is influence? Influence means the ability to have followers who are not manipulated, coerced, or threatened. It also means to earn the trust and respect of people so that they are able to look up to you. Okay? They are not coerced. That means they are not being enticed with some special gifts. You know, sometimes you can get people to do things you want either by enticing them. For instance, if you meet a poor person and you want him to be on your side, you give him money. That is not influence. That is coercion. But if somebody is following you, not because he is enticed, not because he is threatened. For instance, if you feed somebody, he is under obligation to obey you. Why? Because of daily bread. And that is not influence. It doesn't mean feeding people is wrong. But I want you to understand that as long as somebody respects you because you feed him, or you pay his fees, or you do something special for him, and you have threatened him that if he doesn't obey you, you will withdraw his benefits, then you have followers, but you have not influenced them. You have threatened them to comply. You have coerced them to comply. You have manipulated them. That is not influence. Influence is when people don't have anything to lose, and yet they decide willingly by themselves to say, this is a guy to follow. 
I like this guy. I like what he does. I want to learn from him. That's influence. So influence is when people look up to you. Okay? People look up to you when they earn your trust. Everybody say trust. We're going to look a lot about that word. Okay? So you have earned people's trust. You have earned people's respect. And they decide willingly to begin to look up to you. It also means to be the example that others want to model after. Now, majority of you here have a role model. Is it true? How many of you have role models who don't even know you? But you, you just admire them. That is influence. Influence is to come to the place where people even from afar. So I like this woman. I want to be like her. I like everything about her. The way she carries herself, the way she behaves, the way she performs. I just like everything about this person. That is influence. So influence has nothing to do with position. Influence has nothing to do with titles. So today I want to say that leadership is not a title. It is not a position. It is influence. Influence is ability to have followers. By this definition, it means that the greatest leader of all time is Jesus. Because up to now, the only human being that has the greatest number of followers is Jesus. There are many, many, many leaders. Some have died, some are still alive. But think about it. The people who have decided to follow Jesus. Out of seven billion, how's the population of the world now? Seven point something. We haven't reached eight yet, but out of seven point something, we have about 2.9 billion Christians today. And guess what? None of us were threatened to follow Jesus. <laughs> Some of us have never met him even before, physically. But there are people dying for him every minute now. If you go to the Arabian countries, they said, kill us. They put a knife on your child, deny Jesus. They said, go ahead, kill him. And then they put a knife on your throat and said, deny Jesus. Say, no, we're not going to deny him. And they cut off and they, and, and they slash your throat. Jesus is the greatest leader of all time. If Jesus is the greatest leader of all time, then my argument is that we, those that are his followers, we must all become good leaders. Because Jesus' greatest desire is that his followers should become like him. Yeah. Jesus' greatest desire is that his followers should become like what? Like him. Like who? Like him. Like him. Like him. And Jesus was not just an anointed man of God. Yeah. So we those that are pastors, we need to understand. Anointing is not everything. Jesus 
was not just an anointed man who knew how to cast out demons, who knew how to heal the sick, who knew how to preach powerful. He was also a great leader. And tell you what, he owns the biggest organization in the world today. Christianity is the greatest organization in the world today. Yeah, with the greatest number of employees. Christianity. All right. It is very important for us when we look at the Jesus model to understand that God's ultimate desire for every child of God is for that person to become a great leader. So leadership is influence. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that says that if you call yourself a leader and nobody is following you, you are just taking a walk. And there are many, 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 many people who have titles. They have titles and they have positions. But they don't have followers. Have you ever met anybody with a big title but no followers? We'll look at that. But it's very possible to, to have a title and no followers. And when I say followers, I mean people who willingly look up to you, respect you, and want to model after you. How do you influence people? How do you, do you come to that place of becoming an influential person? How do you come to that place? Five things that can help you to become a person of influence. Number one is your credibility. Number two is your character. Number three is your competence. Number four is your connection. And number five is your communication. Five things that can make you a person of influence. A person of influence. Number one is credibility. Everybody say credibility. Credibility means you are the kind of person that is trustworthy. You have to be trustworthy. A trustworthy person. So the question I want to ask today is, put your title aside. Can you be trusted? Can people trust you? Let's start with your friends. If you are not there, what will your friends say about you? Let's come to your workplace. If you are not around, what will your colleagues at the workplace, what would they say? Let's come to your home. If you are married, if you are not married, whatever place you are staying. <laughs> what will your spouse say about you? What will your children say about your trustworthiness? What will your children say about daddy or mommy? Because there are many men who have the title daddy, but their children don't respect them because of how they live their lives. I met a guy who said, I'm not a Christian. Very good guy. He's still my close friend because his wife comes to this church. He said, I am not a Christian. I said, why? He said, I just don't want to be a Christian. And uh, when I spoke with him, I realized that his father and mother 
are strong Christians, but this guy became so bitter, he renounced Christianity. And you know who caused it? His father. Because he heard his father all the time tell him things that are not good, and he was doing it. His father was doing it. The way his father was treating his mother, cheating on his mother, abusing his mother, doing all that. And he was a leader in church. Young, good-looking, gentle guy. He told me I'm not a Christian. Do you know who caused that? His father. Because he said, this whole Christian, he told me, he said, Pastor, this whole Christianity thing is hypocrisy. Only one person could make somebody generalize all of us. That's why I really am happy about all the pastors that are here. Because we need to teach in our churches what leadership really is. Because this man I'm talking about who made his child to become an atheist is a leader in a certain church. But you see, we understand leadership as what? Position. That's why everybody runs to church. They are looking for a position. A title. And so this man had no idea that his behavior in the house was giving the children some impressions. I'm still praying for that guy. That one day God will touch his heart. But this guy is so bitter. So, credibility. Your children follow you to church every week. They look at you. They look at the things you do. The lies you tell. All the bad things you are doing secretly. I know a pastor whose son hacked into his phone. Because this boy was suspicious that his father was cheating on his mother. So he hacked into his phone and saw a lot of things going on between his father and the church administrator, who is a lady. So he gave everything to the mother. He said, look at what daddy is doing. And before long, people in the church were all aware of what was happening between the pastor and his administrator. So this pastor has a title. His title is what? Pastor. His title is what? Man of God. Man of God. But how many people respect a man of God who is sleeping with his administrator and is a married man? You have title, but you have lost influence. You have lost influence. People get disappointed that they heard you could stoop so low to do such a thing. And people started leaving the church. Because they will leave. The only people who won't leave are the ones you feed. Coercion. Or the ones you threaten that if they leave, you will curse them. Threats. If people are afraid to leave you because of, they are afraid of curses, you are not a leader. The real test of leadership is when you don't curse people, you don't threaten people, and yet they are still willing to follow you 
because of the example that you model. So there are many pastors that are not leaders. There are many departmental heads of churches that are not leaders. There are many, 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 many Christians that don't understand what leadership is about. So how do you gain credibility? Number one, your honesty. People close to you must perceive you as a person who is honest. That means most of the time you tell the truth. And I'm saying most of the time. Because none of you here can tell the truth all the time. Anybody challenge me? You can't tell the truth all the time. You can't tell the truth if your life is at risk. Yeah. You can't tell the truth if it's a sensitive information. There are circumstances that can make you not be able to tell the truth, but it's not as if you want to be a liar. Who is a liar? Someone who constantly, all the time, is telling lies and is misleading people and is deceiving people. You know, there are times as a parent, you, you can't tell your child the truth. Because what he wants you to buy, you know, is not good for him. But if you tell him, I have the money, but I won't buy it for you, he's going to cry. And going to throw tantrums and he's going to worry you. So sometimes you should have, as well, be prudent enough to say, I don't have money today. I'll buy it for you another day. Am I sounding sensible or I'm backsliding? Yeah. You must be an honest person. Because people get to find out lies. You must be honest. All right? Number two, you must have integrity. That means what you say and what you do must be the same. You must not criticize things that you are guilty of. You know, one day I was shocked when I found out a certain pastor was committing adultery. I was shocked because this pastor, the way he is judgmental at people who commit adultery. <laughs> when I, I, I said it is not true, I said it cannot be true. And yet it was true. Integrity is never criticizing what you are guilty of. That's number one. Number two, your behavior is consistent with your confessions. What you advocate and what you practice must have some correspondence. Consistency of, of your behavior and what you say. Integrity means your private life should be the same as your public life. <laughs> you can't have a nice public image and a horrible private life. So when people intrude into your privacy, what do they see? Do they get shocked? Do they have a shock of their lives? All right. Then credibility also, you gain it by principle-centered standards. That means that your decisions are principle-centered. Your decisions are not influenced by circumstances. Hello? Yeah, circumstances. Or people. 
Your decision is not influenced by people or by circumstances. Your decision is not influenced by money, but your decision is influenced by principle. That means that you can be predicted all the time that Hubert will not do this. It doesn't matter the situation, whether you were hungry, whether you had no money in your pocket, whether the, it's about yourself, your wife, or children, principle is principle. That's integrity. It means you don't compromise because the situation demands it. You know, sometimes people said the situation called for it. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, God himself will understand. You know. So you, you condemn stealing, but, you know, one day you realize that you just have to steal to survive. That is not integrity. Integrity is when somebody finds out huh, that in the most severe condition of depravity, you still didn't condone to that temptation to steal something that is not yours. That is principle-centered standards. And sometimes it will cost you a lot of inconvenience. But I tell you, the ultimate result is very rewarding. Dr. Mike Maddox said, what you are willing to walk away from determines what comes to you in life. Sometimes you need to sacrifice. You need to suffer. You need to go through pain and difficulty and inconvenience just to keep your integrity. Just to keep your integrity. But it will reward you at the long run. It will reward you. And when you compromise because things are difficult, it will also reward you. But it will reward you in a very negative way. You will lose a lot of favors because you compromised in a time of difficulty. So credibility. I want to say today that every one of us here today, people watch us. People watch us. Why are they watching us? So that they can be able to form their opinions about us. People watch us. Your children watch you. If you're a parent, your children watch you. If you are a boss at work or a senior um, staff at work, people working under you, they watch you. Your colleagues at work, they watch you. The house where you stay, they watch you. People watch you all the time. Yeah, one day, um, a taxi driver stopped me in the estate where I stay. And he said, Pastor, I, I don't go to church. I'm don't, I just want to go to church, and I want to come to your church. Because in my estate, incidentally, there are a few more pastors in the estates. So I, so I became curious. Why do you want to come to my church? So I've been watching you. I've been watching you, and I want to go to a church where I can trust the pastor. So I've been watching you for some time since you moved into this estate. So, pastor, sometimes people don't come to our church because we are anointed. Because they could trust us. If all you have is anointing, people come and get the miracle, and they go to a church that another man of God they trust. If you're a business person, all your customers watch you. And you can influence your customers to the point where they, they become loyal. Hello? Yeah, the number one key to customer loyalty is 
Credibility. Credibility. Amen. Your credibility. You know, you know the word credit is a powerful word. You know that? The word credit means value. It means income, actually. That is why in accounting, if money comes into your account, they call it a credit. They credit your account. And if money leaves your account, they debit your account. So, if you have credibility, it means that you are predisposed to getting a lot of money coming to you. So, business organizations that have high credibility, they have great customer loyalty. Your number one advertisement is your credibility. So, if you are a business um, owner here, before you think about advertising, and you see, advertisement, it costs a lot of money. Do you know that? But I've never seen certain products advertised before. I've never seen an iPhone advert, for example. Anybody? I scarcely see iPhone adverts on TV, radio. Apple is advertising their phone. <laughs> you know, they invest into credibility, and they, didn't, they don't need to spend too much money advertising their phones on television and radio and all that. So the greatest publicity you can give yourself as someone who can be trusted is your credibility. Now, the reason is because if people can trust you, they will follow you. If people can trust you, they will follow you. If people can trust you, they will what? Somebody say, if people can trust me, they will follow me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. They will follow you without you saying anything. They will follow you. That means don't promise things you cannot do. Bad news for politicians. Do you know why people trust God so much? Because he's faithful. When God says a thing, he will do it. <laughs> the vision is for an appointed time. At the end, he shall speak and not like, though he tarry, wait for it, for it shall surely come to pass. <laughs> so if people trust you, they can follow you. But if people don't trust you, they may be there in body. But they are far away in their heart. And sometimes people can leave you two years before you know it. Two years before they physically disappear, but they have left. And some of you, as I'm talking about, people have left you, but you don't know. Sometimes employees can leave a place and still be going to work, but in their heart they have left. They have started looking for a job. Whatever place you are, your credibility, your credibility. I used to pastor in the Volta region, and um, I had a church member who, for a long time, was not working. He's a very great uh, business person in the area of timber 
um, uh, there's a lot of timber work in that area, but he wasn't working. One afternoon, he had a call, and somebody said, is your name Parkwesi? He said, yes. He said, I'm at the district assembly hall. I want to see you. So he went, and he met this man um, standing by a Land Cruiser V8. He said, well, I'm a businessman. I'm a, a timber merchant, and I want to open a sawmill in this area. And I want to put somebody in charge. So I've been talking to people and talking to people and talking to people. And three different people told me that if you can get Parkwesi to be in charge of this work, everything will go well. So that's why I came to see you. So I wanted to discuss with you whether you'll be willing to take up the work, just be in charge. Because this man is so busy, he can never be there in, in just kind to supervise that project. He lives in, a, in Tema and he's into, I mean, ex, import, exports, he travels outside the country all the time. So he just wanted somebody he could trust. Somebody he could trust. And here is a man who has been jobless for like five years. No money, I'm telling you. And now somebody's begging him, can you take up this work for me? Then he asked the man, who mentioned me to say, oh, it's not important. Up to today, this guy tells me, this man still hasn't told me who recommended me. But you know what the man did? The man just transferred monies into his account. First of all, he said, write all the machines that we'll need. Those of you are in this is a sawmill before. You know it's not small money. I mean, a lot of machines. First of all, you need to buy land, set up a big, a big structure like this one. Some of them are bigger than, three times bigger the size of this place. And then you have to install all the machines. And then you have to employ operators for all the machines. You, they have to get trucks. It's a big industry. Now, this guy was in my church. He did not have any title. He was not in any leadership position. He was just a church member, but he had credibility. And before long, he had over 50 employees under him working in the sawmill. So this guy was a leader all along in my church. But he had no position in my church. <laughs> so leadership is not just about a position in, 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 in church. Yeah, a leadership is more than a position or a title in a church. It's a life you live. I want to say the interesting part is that this man is still running the sawmill for that man up to today. And we are talking about close to, I was in just kind of 2000 to 2005. So calculate the number of years. At least more than 15 years. He's still working with that same man till now. And do you know what has happened? This, my church member, is now very rich. In fact, in 2002, he was the first church member that gave me 500 Ghana CDs at a go. In 2002, sorry, did I say 2005? 2002. It's not small money. That time, we had not even come to Ghana CDs. So it was 500,000. 
He carried it in a black polythene and dumped it on my center table. I thought it was banana that was in it. <laughs> now, now, ask me why I thought it was banana. Because normally, most of the time when he visits me, he brings me banana. <laughs> so, Parkwesi came to visit me one afternoon, and then he put a, bla a black polythene on my center table. The pastor something for you. I thought it was banana. I'm telling you. It was when he left and I opened and it was 500,000 old CDs. But at that time, it was a lot of money. He was the first person also in my lifetime to buy me a land. I still have one plot of land. I have not done anything on it. Every time I go, I ask him, the land's still there. He said, the land is there for you. <laughs> Credibility can bring open doors in your life. So don't sell your integrity cheap. Now, people who don't value credibility, they are not mindful of tomorrow. They think life is all about today. But I want you to know that life is not about just about today. Everything you do today has consequences tomorrow. People don't have control about how you treat them, but they have control about how they respond. You know, sometimes you treat people, you cheat people, you deceive people, you shortchange people, and they will be quiet. They won't say anything, but they've made up their mind in their head. And they will not give you that chance again. They just be quiet. And never take people who are quiet as fools. Never do that. Hello? Never take people who are quiet as fools. In fact, I don't think there's any foolish person in this world. Every human being is intelligent. Only that intelligence is in different levels, but every human being has a level of intelligence. Okay, so that is credibility. So, I want you to understand today, you know, the word of God gives us principles, how we model our life, the things we should do, the things we should not do. Do you know the ultimate aim is to give you credibility? And when you are credible, people walk up to you because they trust you. Yeah, and when people trust you, nobody can deceive them to leave you. Yeah, pastors, if anybody can tell you, manipulate a member of your church to leave your church and go to another church. It means because they don't trust you in the first place. Because the people who trust you, nobody can make them leave your church. Nobody. Credibility. The second one is um, character. Character. Five things constitute personal character. Number one, your humility. Humility means... Respect for yourself and respect for others. Humility means see yourself as important. See all other people as equally important. Humility doesn't mean look down on yourself. No. Humility means appreciate yourself, celebrate yourself, respect yourself, but do the same for others. Jesus called Jesus. Scott says it this way. He said, do unto others what you want them 
to do to you. That's humility. Because the truth is, you are very, very, very important. All of you here. But you are not the only one. <laughs> Everybody else you ever meet is important. So humility means treat yourself as important. So humility is different from timidity. Timidity is treat yourself as not important and all other people as important. So you look down yourself and you look, <laughs> you, you honor other people. That's timidity. That's not biblical. That is not godly. And don't let anybody make you timid. Because in your lifetime, you will meet people who want you to, to suppress your sense of value. What is pride? The opposite of humility is pride. What is pride? Pride is seeing yourself as important. All other people are not important. That is pride. So God is against pride. God is against timidity. God is for humility. Number two, respect. Respect. A person of respect is also a person of character, of good character. You must learn to respect people, everybody, everywhere you find yourself. It's not about, I don't know you. It's not about, you are not my class. It's not about, you are not my tribe's person. Respect is to every human being you meet, created in the image, image of God. That they have a right to being treated with decency. Hello? Yeah. Respect is understanding that every human being you meet has a right to being treated with decency. And when you respect people, you have inspired them to follow you. The only people you can lead are the people you respect. You can never lead people you don't respect. Number three, gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude is being thankful for the little, little things that happen in your life. Gratitude is acknowledging people's effort to be good to you. If you are ungrateful, you have a bad character. If you can look at somebody who has helped you before and forget quickly what he did for you and behave rudely towards the person, you have a bad character. Gratitude. Gratitude is not taking for granted people's decisions to do good to you. You don't take it for granted. Yeah, you must show gratitude. You must let people know you value and you appreciate what they did for you. You must let people know that you appreciate the good they have done for you. It's very important because people can change their mind because of your ingratitude. People can change their mind. It means that you, can, you treat all people equal, but you don't treat all people the same. Gratitude means that treat all people equal, but you cannot treat all people the same. Is it clear or I need to explain? I should explain. <laughs> treat all people equal. Why? 
because we are all created in the image of God. So in status, every human being deserves dignity. Every human being has a right to dignity. That is what I mean by respect. Okay? Treating everybody with dignity. With dignity. That is what? Respect. But generosity means that among all the people who are equal in status, some people have gone out of their way to treat you better than others. To treat you better than others. Yes. So those people deserve more of your attention than other people. Those people deserve more attention from you than other people. Let me give you an example. You have two children. Should you love all of them? Yes. Why? They are equal in status. They are all your children. Isn't it? But one is very respectful. There's nothing you say, don't do it, that he will ever do it. But the other one, when you say don't do it, that's when he will even start doing it. How do you handle these two people? If you treat all of them the same, you are telling the respectful one, it is not worth it. It is not worth it. So you are just telling him, he, then he could, he could also as well go and misbehave. So you reward the respectful one more than the disrespectful one, but as far as status is concerned, they are also your children. Is it clear now? Yeah, so in your lifetime, you cannot treat all people the same. You cannot treat all people the same. I said, I said, don't see somebody doing something for somebody, then you also want to go and demand the same. You don't know what that person did. And instead of just going about, look, you, know, you know, looking for people to treat you well, start treating people well, <laughs> Be because it will pay off. You know, David said one day, he said, is there anybody left in the, the house of Saul that I may show him mercy for the sake of my friend Jonathan? Because it is unfair for people to go out of their way to be so good to you. And yet you treat them like everybody else. This is not favoritism. This is principle. So take me, I'm a pastor. I love all my members. I love all my members. But I don't treat all my members the same. Some respect me more than others. Some have made sacrifices for me more than others. Some love me more than others. Yeah. So generosity is attention to detail in, in respect of what people go out of their way to do for you. So there are people I will do anything for, I'm telling you, because of history, what they did, what they did, what they did for me. Generosity also means give to people freely. Help people if you are able do good to people all the time. Don't be at the receiving end of good. Be the one that initiates the process. Because it will come back to you. Listen, the people you do good to are the ones you can lead. So if you are a leader, sometimes you will spend your money on people. If you are a departmental leader, 
and a member of the department call you. He's sick. You know? Sometimes, to be a good leader, you may, you may have to spend money. Some of the pastors who are here today, it's not by accident. <laughs> I'm telling you. Some of the pastors here today is accidental. I was not expecting them. <laughs> I was not expecting Pastor, Pastor Amo. I was not expecting because I didn't know he was even aware. Yeah, but, but some of the pastors, they ought to be here. Yeah, the people you sacrifice for today, they are the ones who will fight your battles tomorrow. Because right now, if you want to worry me, there are people I can take my phone and call. And I'll tell them that somebody is worrying. His name is this. And they will take you on. They will take you on. They will deal with you. Because I've, I've been too good to them. Don't just be happy about your title. What have you done for anybody? What have you done for anybody? What have you done for anybody in your whole lifetime? Generosity. Investing into people, adding value to people. Don't only be happy to take from people. Every time you are making demands on people, people you never did anything for. Invest into people. It pays. Amen? Yeah. Invest into people. You know, Pastor Joshua used to come to my church here. He used to come from Dowenya. And then I got to find out that this guy loves my teaching so much that sometimes if he doesn't have money, he walks. So I started giving him TNT every Sunday. TNT, take this, take this, take this, every Sunday. Then I got to find out he lives in an uncompleted building. Oh, pastor. So I said, look for a place. I was not having the money at the time. I said, look for a place. But I said, look for a place. I want to rent a place for you. He looked for a place in Ashama. And by the time he got the place, Professor Samuel came to my aid and got some money for me. And I added money to it. Gave it to Pastor Joshua to pay for his rent for two years. Then I sat him down that day. I said, Work hard. After two years, I'm not paying your rent again. <laughs> Hallelujah. But do you know why Prophet Samuel paid part of the rent? Because the year I met Prophet Samuel in 2013, where he was staying was so bad. So I told him, look for a place. I said, look for a place. Now, when he found the place, it was 100 cities a month. So I gave him a check of 1,200 cities. I said, go and cash it and pay for one year. By the end of one year, God will provide. That is why at the time he heard that somebody is living in an uncompleted building, my example has taught him to help me pay for. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see Pastor Joshua here today, eh, among other things, the people you care about. In fact, John, John Maxwell said, people don't care how much you know <laughs> until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Now, anytime somebody comes to the conclusion that you truly care about him, you have earned their influence. And I said, generosity doesn't mean you have all the money in the world. I'm telling you, the time I met some of these people, I did not have, I did not have much. Yeah, it's not about having all the money in the world. It's starting from somewhere. Start from somewhere. And I can tell many, many, many stories. Many, many, many stories. You see, you have to learn how to invest in people, into people. Don't only invest into a business. <laughs> invest into people. In fact, sometimes people investments produces much more dividends than business. So, if God blesses you, help people. Do good to people. By the way, generosity doesn't mean give to everybody. Let me qualify. <laughs> Hello? Generosity doesn't mean give to everybody. Can I give you a Bible for this? Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 6, I think, he said, Do not give that which is holy to dogs. And don't give a jewel to a pig. <laughs> so Jesus said, give to people who deserve it. And what is the watch word? Number one, gratitude. If somebody is ungrateful to you once, don't give him again. Please, everybody, have you heard me? Have you heard me? Never give to an ungrateful person the remaining days of your life. Never. Why? Ungrateful people will hate you all the time. Despite all you do for them. They will hate you bad. And the greatest pain you will ever have as a leader are the people you invested in who betrayed you. That's why investment must be done with discretion. Investment must be done with a lot of discretion. Never ever give to an ungrateful person. Never help an ungrateful person. Leave them there. I learned this the hard way. I learned this the hard way. I did a lot for people. No matter what they did to me, I said, it doesn't matter until one day I woke up and I said, oh, this thing, the amount of pain you will go through is not fair. Gratitude is what guides what you do for people. Gratitude. Number two, value. Don't give things to people who don't value it. And one way you do that is anytime you give something to someone, anytime you do things for people, watch how they handle it. Because what somebody is praying for for a whole lifetime, somebody has it, he's just playing around with it. You know, one day I bought a shirt, two. I gave one to somebody and I kept one. Very expensive, valuable shirt. And one day I saw the person wearing the shirt and the way and the place he wore the shirt. I was just sad. He was wearing the shirt in the house, like a house dress. Something that I wear once a while. So I said in my head, no more. No more. Value, value, value. Invest into people who value it. Who value it. Invest into people who value it. Do not give that which is holy to dogs. Nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet. And then what will happen? They will turn and tear you 
into pieces. They will hurt you. <laughs> they will hurt you. If you don't believe me, I'm telling you, you mark it and see. One day you come and pastor, you said it. They will hurt you. That's why sometimes you can see a stranger who values help, give him help. A family member who doesn't value help, don't. Don't. <laughs> because a family member, if I, he even thinks this is right. <laughs> He's right. And now you hear things like, oh, this small thing he did, and he's just talking all over the place. What is it? You should get away there. <laughs> yeah. So if all you want to do is family members, my tribesmen, my this, my class, and you, you, you miss your way. Sometimes a stranger affair. I didn't know Pastor Joshua from anywhere. He just came to my church. Hallelujah. Yeah. Maybe one day when people are beating me somewhere in Ashama, he's the one who will come to my help. <laughs> yeah. There are some people you cannot touch because their tentacles spread in every corner of society. There are some people you cannot touch them. Yeah. Take them to court. They have they are paid fees for people who are judges. <laughs> eh? Yeah. Some people went to law school. The person who paid that guy's fees is a judge. Is the one you've taken to court. How can you win that case? <laughs> eh? You took somebody to police headquarters. Ah. The IGP has been helped by this guy before. At the time when he was probably an inspector, somebody saw him and helped him. Now he's an IGP. Then you took that same guy to police headquarters. I mean, how far will you go? So generosity, you see, every day you meet people, God is giving you opportunity hmm, to design your future by how you treat them. By how you treat them. Especially when they have nothing. You see, gifts are useless to somebody who have a lot. So when people have nothing, that is the most important moment in their lives. That you help them. Discipline. Character is discipline. An indisciplined person can never have a good character. Because inherent in every human being is the propensity to do wrong. Unless you're an angel here. In every human being, is that strong compulsion to do wrong things, isn't it? Yeah. How many of you know it would have been good for you if you were still sleeping around this time? Just sleeping and enjoying yourself. It takes a lot of discipline to be here. Yesterday I slept around one. Woke up this morning. I, I was here this morning to do a naming ceremony. Went back home, prepared, and I'm here. It's discipline. Discipline is taking responsibility to put your, your whole life under your own personal control. Yeah, ability to control yourself, especially in five major areas. Number one, food. If you cannot control yourself when it comes to food, your character is in question. Esau sold his birthright because of food. So, an indisciplined person 
is unpredictable when it comes to food. Is there any particular food that can be used to trap you easily? To gain mastery over food, God put in, into scripture a particular practice, fasting. The purpose of fasting is to enable you to have self-control over food. That you saw your best food in the kitchen, but you are able to say, today I'm fasting, so I will not eat it. That's discipline. If Esau had that, he wouldn't have sold his birthright. All right, food. Number two, drinks. Drinks. You know what Bible says we should not take alcohol because when you take alcohol, you lose control. You lose control. You can never be a disciplined person when you take alcohol. <laughs> and it's addictive. So, I take small. It will soon become more. And it will become plenty. So, wisdom will tell you don't take it at all. Now, today, it's not only Bible that is saying you should, people should not take alcohol. Even health experts are saying it's not good for your health. Every good medical professional will tell you alcohol is not good for you. All these things you hear, uh, wine is good for the heart. Guinness will help your, your blood count to go up. They are all from unprofessional medical experts. <laughs> yeah, drinks. Number three, sex. Sex. If you cannot control your sexual drive. You can never be a good leader. A fornicator will graduate to become an adulterer. Many single people don't know that even after you are married, you will still have temptations. In fact, they become more. So, the reason why God gave an instruction, flee fornication, is to prepare you to demonstrate fidelity to your spouse after you are married. Because if you cannot do it now when you are single, you can never do it after you are married. That's why I tell people, if you start sleeping with each other whilst you are single, don't you ever expect your spouse to be faithful or true marriage. How can you trust that this guy will not commit adultery when you people are not married and you are sleeping together? Discipline in your sexual area is so important because, you know, many organizations are being run by little, little girls. The real boss is just positioner. It's a positional leader. The real leader is a little girl sleeping with a boss and controlling everything. In fact, some churches are being controlled by one lady church member who is sleeping with the pastor. She runs the church. She runs the show. She runs every program. We don't like this one. Stop it. And then to stop. Your indiscipline makes you lose influence. Number four, money. Money. Money is powerful. So powerful. You cannot master control over money. You can be easily manipulated. You know, last two years when the LGBTQ um, argument started in parliament and the media, I was chatting with a friend of mine. And I was saying, tell me the truth. If these people come to you and say, defend us, and they slap 
$2 million on the table, will you say no? Looking at all your needs in your church. Most of the people defending LGBTQ, it's not like they support it. It's money that is talking. Those guys have money. Yeah, they have money. They can buy the president, buy governments, buy media houses. You know, there are a lot of things that some media houses cannot even say because somebody has put money on the table. There are a lot of things that media houses say because money on the table. Leaders, listen to me. Everybody here, listen to me. Anybody who is greedy hmm, is a dangerous follower. Let me say it better. If you buy somebody to follow you, remember that one day, if somebody who has more money than you comes to pay, you lose his followership. But the bigger question I want to ask you today is, can people buy you? Can people buy you? Can a rich person make you change position over a principle that you stand for? Somebody shaking their head. I'm not asking you to tell, give me the answer. Answer it in your heart. Can one rich man who is taking care of you and you know he's committing adultery, can you look in his face on Sunday and preach against adultery? Or you will defer that subject until further notice. <laughs> One of the things God did to help us master money is to give it out. If you can give money out, you are gaining control over it. And the last one is recognition. Inherent in everybody is the temptation to five things. Food, drinks, sex, food, drinks. All right? A singer will not take a football as a role model. Will it, will it happen? Uh-huh. If you talk to any footballer now, who is your role model? He's not going to mention any player in Accra Great Olympics or Ebusia Drafts. <laughs> you know. But they are also footballers. But they don't have competence. You must be good at something to have influence. You must be competent. That means that you must be able to achieve results. Competence means identify what you are good at. That means discover your potential. Number two, develop your potential. Number three, deploy your potential. You must be good at something. Don't busy yourself about criticizing everybody. Critics don't earn any award. All my life, I've never seen an award like the best critic. Awards are given to achievers. Criticism is not an achievement, please. Number two, don't go about hyping your name. Looking for recognition. Let your work speak for you. Let your achievement, let the results you achieve be, do the talking. If you are good, don't be so loud about it. Because people watch us. So results. People want to come and learn for you because of, of your results. People want to come and learn from you because of what you have done. So the question I want to ask you today is, what have you done? <laughs> what have you achieved?
you don't qualify to teach anything that you have not yet done. I tell people all the time, if you are not married, marriage counseling is not part one of your duties. And if you are married for two years, you are still not qualified <laughs> for marriage counseling. And if somebody by mistake comes to you for counseling, look for somebody who is 20 years in marriage, 15 years in marriage. I prefer 25 years in marriage. Direct the person there. What have you done? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. But results is tough. Pastors, listen, the pastors who criticize you most especially your church, are the pastors who have never pastored a church before. You will meet pastors who tell you that, look, if, you, if I take over this church, I will double it in one year. Give him that church and see. Everybody will leave. When you start the church from the scratch. <laughs> and after two years, you are 30. I'm talking about real members, not imaginary members. You know, some pastors have imaginary members. So, so the people are 30, but he's telling you we are 200. <laughs> you know, he's imagining it. So, if you are in business, learn all you can. Study all you can. Develop that business to the place of great success. And listen, most young people who want to learn about business, they will naturally come to you. And learn. Why? Because of your results. That is why everyone here, you owe it to yourself to develop yourself, to study more, to learn more. Don't expect people to just come to learn from you because you carry some title. Titles don't teach anything. It's the results that do the talking. Your competence. Let's move to the next. The fourth one is connection. That means relationship. One of the ways to influence people is your ability to relate well with people. It means care about people. It means add value to people. Don't leave people the same way you met them. Don't leave people the same way you met them. When you meet people, make their lives better. Yeah, and it starts with a smile. A simple smile can make a difference in somebody's life. Don't always frown. Smile to people. Be nice to people. Be warm at people. Even if it's a stranger, you never know who you are meeting. Yeah. So your relationship skill, your ability to add value to people. In my latest book, I, I did a chapter on relationship. One of the things I said is that remember people's names. It means a lot to them. Sometimes it's not possible, but make the effort. Because by the time you have 500 members, it's not possible, but you need to try. The more of your members you know their names, the better. People are happy when you call them by their name. They feel you value and respect them. Relationship. Then understand human behavior. Now, for you to be able to develop very good relationship skills, you, know, you should understand that not all human beings are the same. Let me say it better. Not all human beings have the same behavior. Different people have different behaviors. In your lifetime, as a human being, you will meet people that are very good. You will also meet people that are very bad. That is the reality of our life. 
You will meet people that are loyal. You will meet people that are treacherous. Treacherous people betray trust. They smile at you and they expose you the next minute. Hello? Yeah, if you look at Jesus' 12-member um, team, you will see that not all human beings have the same character. If you're a leader and you don't know this, you're going to run yourself into a problem. You have to understand human nature in order to relate with people at different levels. Relationship, you need to connect with people at different levels. Jesus had different levels of relationship. He had his inner circle that was made up of three people, Peter, James, and John. Then he had the 12. Then he also had um, 72 people. Then he had a crowd. Different levels of relationship. You must understand human behavior. And that means that you have to make a little effort to study a little bit about psychology. To understand why people behave the way they do. Um, it's important. You will meet people that are hypocrites. You meet people that are... I mean, you meet different kinds of people. Now, if you don't understand these dynamics, what you do is that you trust the wrong people. You locate wrong people at the right places and you run yourself into problems. So you need to have an understanding of human behavior. And then you need to have what you call emotional intelligence. I'll be teaching on emotional intelligence in the next leadership seminar. But emotional intelligence simply means ability to understand yourself and understand other people, ability to relate well with yourself and with other people, and make the best out of every relationship that you find yourself in. All right, so that is relationship skills. Number five, the last one, communication, communication. You can never be a great leader without good communication. You can never inspire people without good communication. All the greatest leaders of the world are very great communicators. Talk about Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, Winston Churchill, and uh, even the bad guys, Adolf Hitler was a great speaker. And look at people like, listen to people like Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Nelson Mandela, even Jerry Rollins, great speakers. Barack Obama. Communication is something you must learn if you want to become a good leader. You must know how to talk to people. And communication involves inspiring people. What does it mean to inspire people? It means give them a vision. Inspire people means show them something, where they are going. Because you cannot lead people without telling them where we are going. So every pastor, you must be able to let the church know you have a vision. Five years from now as a church, where are we going? Because church is not just about, let's come and worship, enjoy the house of God, and glory to God. No. You are a departmental head. You should be able to let your department know, where are we going from here? What is this department about? What do we want to do? What do we want to achieve? That's inspiration. You take people from where they are now to look beyond. And that is vision. You have to be able to communicate a vision. People want to live for something. People don't just want to be there for nothing. So give them something to live for. You inspire people. That is what makes people look beyond the present difficulties and hardship. So you can be meeting in a classroom as a pastor with your church, but tell them, this is not where we are going to be forever. Tell them this church is a world-class 
mega church that one day you are going to live in your own ultra-modern auditorium, fully air-conditioned, and you are going to have church that, I mean, will influence the whole world. See, the people are excited. They immediately stop looking at the classroom. Inspire people. Anytime you meet people, help them to see beyond where they are. Help them to see that there is a future for them. Affirm people. Affirm people means validate them. It's make people know they are good. Before I started teaching today, I said one important. I said everybody here is important. That is affirmation. Don't beat people down. Don't make people feel bad. Don't make people feel they are useless or hopeless. You can never get influence through that. You get influence when you make people think they are so valuable and important. That is affirmation. Yeah, everybody wants to follow somebody who makes them feel good about themselves. You know, we all like to be praised. Yeah, and we hate to be condemned. We all hate to be condemned. We all shy away from people who are always condemning us. You know, psychologists did their research and they found out that adults who are very attentive, they had parents who praised them a lot when they were young. This is a research finding. Adults who are very attentive, hmm? when they were young, they had parents who praised them a lot. So every time they are listening for another praise, so they develop the habit of what? Listening. Then they also found out that adults who don't like listening, their parents were very critical. <laughs> their parents were critical, so they developed a habit of not listening. If you want to be a great communicator, anytime you stand to talk, people are listening. Learn to affirm people. Number three, celebrate people. Celebrate people. When people do something good, publicly acknowledge it. Publicly acknowledge the good people do. You celebrate people. Celebrate people because of their difference and their uniqueness and the good things that they do. The last one is inform people. Communication of necessity involves content. It's not enough to talk a lot. You know, there are people who are orators. There are people who are very fluent. And they can stand and mesmerize you with fantastic rhetoric. With a lot of jargons and everything. But after listening to them for one, one hour, you'll be asking yourself, what did he say? Because at the end of the day, what makes and information valuable is the content. Is what? Content. So it means that if you are a leader, you must be knowledgeable. Don't talk about any subject that you know little about. Let me say that again. Never talk about any subject that you know little about. It means if you are a leader, it's not everything you must talk about. There are issues you refer to somebody to talk about it. Because it's an expert on it. It's an expert on it. So... Talk about things that you know a lot about. And if you are a leader, you must know a lot about your area of function. That means if you are the music director or the choir leader, choiristers must not know more about music than you. And you expect to be their leader because you are carrying a title. Choir leader. No. Yeah. If you head a department, I mean, if you are a pastor, for example, I mean, church members must not know the Bible more than you, the pastor. And you expect that because you call yourself man of God, they must come and listen to you every day. No. If you're a pastor, people must go to church because they know they are about to hear something more. 
They are about to learn new things. So whatever area of leadership you function in, you must remember the place of content. That means you must learn more. I tell pastors, study more. Steady and steady. And especially areas that you know is your calling and gifting. We are not called to do everything. <laughs> if you call me to come and speak in an evangelism conference, I will prefer to recommend an evangelist to come and speak there. Because I have never done any serious crusade or any large-scale evangelism campaign. I've never done it before. Maybe Pastor Otis will help us. He's an evangelist. Yeah, he does a lot of crusades. Yeah, so if you, if you must be a good communicator, you must be knowledgeable. You must have content. You must have content. So you have to study a lot. You have to know a lot. You can't be ignorant and be a good leader. It's not possible. There are questions when your followers ask you, the answer you give tells them, yes, that's my man. They may not say it before you, but they know it. That's my man. He knows what he's about. He understands what he's doing. And if you are very busy learning, you have little time to criticize people. You have little time to, to, to find fault with what people are doing. One of the things I, I like to make people know when they come close to me is that I'm not too concerned about other people. What I mean is that it's not like I don't care about people. I care about people, but I'm not concerned. I don't try to make other people issue my business. I mind my business. What I'm trying to mean is that I know I still don't know a lot. So I really don't care about what you don't know. <laughs> it's none of my business. I want to know more by myself. Don't make other people's issue your business. The fact that you can criticize everybody, fine for everybody, does not mean necessarily that you are also very good. Take responsibility for your personal development. Take responsibility for your personal development. Develop yourself. Know a lot. Master your area of function. A, a research finding um, says that if you can read one hour on any subject, one hour on any subject, in five years you will become a consultant in that area. Life is not supposed to be that difficult or complicated. We have made it so. So all pastor, if you can read about ministry, an hour every day. Isn't that generous enough? Out of 24 hours, you can read an hour every day on ministry. In five years, people should be coming to learn from you. Life is not supposed to be that difficult. But most of the time, we will not do it. So let me add this here. Every leader, you must have a library. Every leader must have what? Your library must be bigger than your title. Build a library. I always have more books in my library than I have read. By the time I'm getting close to reading 75%, I add more books. Because if you have finished reading everything on your library, you are in trouble. You have knowledge deficiency. You have knowledge deficit. Yeah, so build a library. You are in business right here, and you want to you know, take your business to global scale and do a lot. You need to read a lot about business. You need to read, you know, from people who have made it. You know, I have about eight books of Richard Branson, one of the most successful entrepreneurs. I'm not a business person, but I consult for some business people. So I have eight books of Richard Branson. 
that I'm reading now. You just have to read, read, read. You know, the brain begins to suffer a lot of defects when you stop learning. So how do we gain influence? How can I become a person of influence? We said leadership is what? Okay. Influence means what? Ability to have followers. Thank you, Pastor. Ability to have followers. Do you know the most powerful statement Jesus made? He said to the people when he met them at the seashore, he said, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. In other words, I will change your standard of performance. I'll make your life better. Leaders always have followers. How do I have followers? Number one is what? Your credibility. It makes people trust you. Number two, your character. It makes people respect you. Number three, competence. Competence makes people want to learn from you. Because you can never learn from somebody you know more than. Number four, connection. Connection. It makes people want to be there for you. Number five, communication. It makes people want to listen to you. The only people who follow you are the ones who are listening to you. The only people who follow you are the ones who are there for you all the time. The only people who will um, respect you are the ones who have proven that you have the right character. And if you can develop these five important things in your life, whether you have a position in your church or not, whether you have a position at your workplace or not, you become a leader. Principles of leadership. Let's look through principles of leadership. Number one, leadership is not the privilege of a chosen few. Everyone is born with an inherent leadership potential. So we'll do some Bible reading um, here because I want to try to explain very important principle. One of the things I'll be teaching maybe in our next um, leadership seminar is um, leadership philosophy. When you study the history of leadership, you see that the Greeks were the first to begin to document concepts and principles on leadership, the Greeks, because they were able to write. I mean, so when we talk about Greek philosophy, you are looking at people like um, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, and then there's many more, René Descartes and all that. You see, because of their limited understanding about life and by the fact that they were not Christians, they propounded that leaders are born special, that there are only a few naturally born leaders and the rest of the masses are followers. And so that principle has been there for a long time until understanding in scripture began to come. That's why today I can dare tell you that some of the best leadership consultants globally are Christians. John Maxwell is number one. If you talk about leadership, I mean the overall best leadership expert worldwide right now is John Maxwell. He was a pastor for many years. One day he, he resigned from pastoring and went to leadership training and coaching. And that, I mean, number two was until he died, Dr. Miles Munro. Number three, Dr. Samchand. And of course, in our recent time, Dr. Mensah Tabo is a, is a well-respected leadership consultant. I mean, most of them are from Christian circle. Of course, now we have a lot of secular um, people, but I'm talking about the best of the best. People whose books are textbooks in all leadership um, training institutes and all that. They are Christians. Now, why did this happen? Because the Bible teaches leadership better than any other leadership manual you can get anywhere. 
And number two, because our leader that we follow is up to now, undisputed best leader in the whole world. And he will ever be till he dies. His name is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. What did the Bible say uh, in Genesis 1.26? Who can quote it for us? He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that creeps upon the earth. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. The word dominion there means to govern. It also means to rule from this scripture. So what is the reason why God created human being? Is here. The purpose for which human being was created is what? To have dominion. Everybody say dominion. And you see, they didn't say have dominion over other people. Did you see it? Yeah, he didn't say, let us make man to have dominion over other, his colleagues. So, from this scripture, we see that every human being created by God has a leadership potential in him. That includes all of you listening to me right now. You know, this morning, after the naming ceremony, I was telling one of my daughters that I believe one day he will become a great leader in society. I was telling her, come for the seminar. She said, but I'm not a leader. Then I said, no, you are a leader. You know what she was trying to tell me? She was trying to tell me, I don't have any position in the church. And sometimes, if you're a church member, you come to a meeting like this. Somebody who occupies a position will be looking at you, and, and he may not tell you anything with a mouth, but in the head he's saying, what is she also doing here? Maybe somebody has said that about you right now. But you can excuse them for their ignorance. The truth is, every one of you here, you were born with a leadership ability in you. Principle number two, the leadership ability that you were born with has to be developed. Number two, not everyone becomes a leader because leadership is developed through training. So, we are people who never became leaders. Why? Because number one, they were told they are not leaders. Number two, they were not trained. There are also people who became leaders, but they became bad leaders. Can we have bad leaders? Can there be bad leaders? Yes. Can you give me an example of bad leaders? Adolf Hitler, number one. Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin. Stalin was one of the, I think, the second most wicked human being that ever lived on the earth. I heard somebody saying Putin. Well, that is debatable. Bad leaders. Is Osama Bin Laden a bad leader? Yes, he was. Is somebody said no? No amount of good leadership will make you kill those number of people through suicide bombs. In fact, he killed more of his own followers than even his enemies. Because their principle is put a bomb on yourself and detonate it. Somebody can be convinced to put a bomb on himself because of leadership. Leadership is powerful. Are they not thinking? They are thinking, but a leader influenced them to the point where they said, put a bomb on me. I'm going to kill all of them. What about yourself? Don't, don't mind me. <laughs> Osama Bin Laden was a bad leader, but he was a leader because of the kind of influence he commanded. The Al-Qaeda movement was a great terrorist group. In fact, the biggest and the most respected and <laughs> terrorist group until he died was Al-Qaeda. 
That's leadership. But he just, unfortunately, he was just a bad leader. Maybe if he was in a good church. That's why pastors, because it is our duty, pastors, to teach our members these things. Because another Osama bin Laden could be in your church. And if he doesn't learn the right things, he can grow up, use his leadership ability to build an organization that is completely a detriment to, to society. We have many bad leaders, but we also have good leaders, isn't it? Yeah, we have good leaders. And I see you becoming a good leader. I said, I see you becoming a good leader in the name of Jesus. But becoming a good leader involves development and training. Everybody say development and training. One more time, development and training. Development and training. What's the difference between development and training? Training has to do with work. Development has to do with a person. I am trained to pastor. So training has to do with your skill. Your skill, what you specialize in. If you are in management, if you are in business, you need to have business skill, but you also need to be a good business person. The two go hand in hand. If you are a pastor, you need to have pastoral skills, but you as a person also, you must be a good leader. So training and development. Everybody say training and development. So that is it. Why is it that everybody created by God has leadership potential, but not all people become leaders because lack of training. If the desire to learn about leadership is not there, you cannot train the person in the first place. That's why my leadership training programs are not compulsory. Yeah, and if you're a pastor, you must have an eye for people who want to pursue leadership development. Because those are the people you plan the future of the church with. There's a difference between title holders today and future leaders of your church. The future leaders of your church are the people who want to develop their leadership ability. And you have, must have a strategy to gradually replace title holders in your church. Okay? As a strategy. Because you don't just change people without a fight. Talking about how to remove a troublesome leader. Because all the pastors here will tell you they all have somebody. Okay, maybe some of you are blessed. Because every church starts with volunteers. Every church starts with what? Volunteers. Somebody, you start a church, you have only 10 people. Somebody will pass, I'll be the usher. Okay, good luck. Start. Somebody say, I'll be the worship leader. But at a certain point in your church, you have to move away from volunteers and, and then recruit people. Because volunteers can do up to a point, but they cannot do further. Why? They are not desiring to develop their leadership potential. Every pastor here and every business person and every leader here, listen, if you run an organization, you must always plan five years ahead. So this church has a five-year plan in my head. Talk to me right now. I can tell you. Five years ahead. This five-year plan must include people. There are people who occupy positions in my church right now. The truth is, five years from now, I don't see them there. Then there's nothing you can do about it. Why? Passion. The worst you can do to yourself is to run with people who are not hungry for excellence. They slow you down. They say, Pastor, but it's okay. It's good. What more again? Pastors, listen. Some of your leaders, the day you reach 100 members, they will tell you, I mean, we have made it. And that guy will become the stumbling block. Number three, leadership is not what you do, but who you are. Leadership is not a position or a title. It is a lifestyle. 
powerful principle. Leadership is not something you do. Listen, if you wait till you hit this church before you know you are a leader, mm, wait a minute, I'm the council member or I'm the intercessory leader. You see, you have completely missed your way. Leadership is not what you do. Leadership is who you are. Is it okay or I should explain? So it means that when you are home as a parent, you are a leader because your children model after you. They look up to you. So every parent here, I want you to know, your children don't learn what you say. They learn what you do. Tell him, don't lie. He said you, but he's watching you, how you lie every day. <laughs> Especially on phone. He's sitting by you watching and say, wait a minute. Did daddy say I'm in, I'm in town? Your children watch what you do. So right from home, you are a leader, but you don't know it. You are a husband, you are a leader. You are a wife, you are a leader. Then you go to work. Whatever you do at work, you influence people. You, you may not have to be the boss or the manager. But a time comes in that office, everybody know, this guy, this is how he is. When issues come on morality and uprightness and integrity and all that, you are the reference point. That makes you a leader. Leadership is not a title. You know, yesterday I called one of our members, Sister AC. I said, I want you to come to this meeting. And I want to explain to you why I called her. She's not yet a leader in this church. She doesn't occupy any position in this church. She doesn't have any title in this church. But last year, she came to me and said, Pastor, I'm starting a school, and I want you to come and pray over the place. I said, no problem, let's go. So I, which month was that? March or February? February last year, I went to pray, and I said, Lord, bless this thing. Let the school grow and develop, bring in people. Now, February this year, which is one year, she came to see me and said, Pastor, I now have 30 children. 30 children. 30 children at the school. And I said... I did a prayer, but I'm still um, amazed. Then I prayed for her. I said, I pray and I prophesy. By next year, February, it should grow to 100. Okay, now it's not only about saying amen, but you see, by the time you have 100 children, what are we looking at? Teachers. Apart from that, non-teaching staff. Maybe somebody who cooks, somebody at the administrative office, a cleaner, nice security, and all that. You see, so she's a leader. Not because of a title he carries in this church, but because of what she's into. Now, that school can become 1,000 or only 100 based on her leadership skill. That school can become 1,000. By the grace of God, I pray for different people start schools. I've seen it. You can never grow any organization beyond the level of your leadership. You can never grow your business beyond the level of your leadership. That's why even if you go to business schools today, you see, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, most business schools, you know, focus on management, business management. That's why people like Peter Drucker and all that are gurus in management. But when they enter, when you enter the 80s, you see, business has moved away from management to leadership. That's why every credible business school today has a faculty for leadership. Why did they come about that? Because they started realizing that some of the Biggest organizations in the world, the people did not go have an MBA. <laughs> they didn't go to any business school. For instance, Apple. Apple started with Steve Jobs. How many of you know Steve Jobs? If you don't read a lot and you don't know anything, uh, these things, it's not good. At a point, they said Apple has become too big, so Steve Jobs will step down so that they bring a CEO who has 
competent management expertise. So Steve Jobs stepped down and they brought somebody else to run Apple. And everything started running down. The market share started going down. And then they changed their mind. Four years, they changed their mind. They said, the man who doesn't have an MBA, his CV is, is nothing. Let's bring him back. Today, until recently, now I don't know, Apple has remained the richest organization in the world. In fact, they were the first organization to hit a trillion dollars. It was Steve Jobs that did that, and he was a university dropout. He didn't complete, he doesn't have a degree. You want to run great multi-million organizations, global organizations. Your leadership skill, if you are a pastor, your leadership skill, if you are a business person, your leadership skill. If you want to run an institution, a school, uh, whatever. Once people are involved, your leadership capacity is, is a critical thing. Number four, true leaders have followers, not subordinates or subjects. If you have title, you will have subordinates, head of department, departmental members. Every church you go, there are departmental members who don't respect the head of department because there are character issues or there are relationship issues. You can go to a church, the pastor is there as the figurehead, but the whole church does not respect the pastor. You can go to a workplace and the manager does not have respect, but people are there working. Why? Paycheck. Deliberate. Have you ever seen somebody saying yes, sir, yes, sir, to somebody, but he doesn't still respect the person? In fact, I've been saying in this church all the time, I say sometimes people say yes, sir, yes, sir, but in his head, he's saying foolish, foolish. <laughs> now, why is he saying yes, sir? Because either you pay him or you feed him or you take care of him. So he is under obligation to say yes, sir. That person is a subject, it's a subordinate. But true leaders, they have followers, people who have been inspired and influence to follow you to learn from you they are true leaders that's why jesus made that profound statement he said follow me follow me follow me and a follower is better than a subject a follower is better than a subordinate followers are there for life subordinates are there for a while so how do you know if you are you have followers or subordinates do an opinion poll in your department <laughs> or your organization. If you're a departmental head, why don't you pass out a piece of paper and say, no names. If you want me to remain the leader of this department, write yes. If you don't want me, write no. And leave the place and let them fill the, paper, the, the thing, gather it down for you to collect. And when you collect, take it home and go and open it and see how many yeses do you get and how many no's will you get. That's what will tell you whether you, you have followers or you have subordinates. That's what will tell you whether you still need to deserve to be the leader. If you are a good leader, you will not get 100% yes. You will not get a 100% yes. You will get a few people who don't like you because you are a good leader. But you should get between 80 to 90% yes. That should tell you. Sometimes you don't even need to do it. Just observe. If you are a pastor, observe your church and ask yourself, if I am transferred right now, how many people will say, yeah, at long last, the battle has ended? And how many people will cry because you are leaving? You should know. You should be sincere. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. How many people will cry? Last week, I was telling a member, I said, if you work in a place and you are leaving, then nobody is sad or angry. It means you didn't live well. Everybody's happy you are going. Oh, you are going. Oh, you've been removed. 
or you've been transferred. Oh, bless God. Number five, every good leader is a follower. And every good follower becomes a good leader. Every good leader is what? A follower. How do you develop your leadership potential? Follow a leader. Follow a leader. That's why Jesus told these guys, follow me. Every good leader is a follower. Now, what does it mean to follow? Learn from somebody. Be accountable to somebody. No good leader is a self-made person. I can tell how good you will be by your readiness to learn from experts. My emphasis is on experts. Because throughout your life, you will always see people who want to teach you, who know nothing. They know nothing. Every now and then, people want to hijack you and make you their students, and they know nothing. You must be intentional about where you learn. And the key to good learning is that you must learn from who? Experts. I was using um, Sister AC as an example. You see, it will not be long. People who have never started a school before, they are the ones who will be coming to advise her. Do it like this. Don't do it. And the annoying part is that the more ignorant people are, the more they impose things on you. Learned people advise you. Ignorant people give you orders. They instruct you. Thank you. Do it like this. <laughs> do it like that. And ask them, have you done that before yourself? No, they haven't. So if I was Sister AC, I would look for somebody who has a school of 1,000 plus. Then every year, I go sit down. Number one, you give him a report. Every year, I go to Pastor Kujo's office. Every year, January. This January, I was there. I gave him a report of my church. I told him my frustrations. I told him my goals. Then I now open up for direction and teaching and instruction. Every good leader is a follower. Now, who is, who is teaching you? Who are you learning from? That's why mentoring is important. So when God called me, I knew leadership development is a calling I have. So I started following people. I follow John Maxwell. I follow Dr. Miles Moro. I follow Dr. Samchand. I follow Dr. Mensah Utabo. On the subject of leadership, I follow these four people. And if you come to my library right now, there is no book of John Maxwell I don't have. Every book he has written, I have it. There are things I'm not called for. That's why even if you are following people, you must, pastors, you must be intentional about, you know, sometimes you just see someone who is very anointed, then you are following. But you see, you have to first ask yourself, where is the placement of that person in your strategic purpose? Where does that person place? Every good leader is a follower. Tell me any great leader in the Bible. I'll tell you who he followed. Apostle Paul had a mentor. Do you know? His name is Gamaliel. Yeah, in Galatians 3, he said, I was taught by Gamaliel. Moses was trained by Jethro. I'll soon show you in this, some of the leadership lessons that Moses learned from Jethro. Jethro was a priest. Long before Moses was called prophet, his father-in-law, Jethro, was a priest. And the Bible said he was a priest of God. So it, it tells me the person who even introduced Moses to God was Jethro. All the great guys, they followed somebody. Peter, James, and John, they followed Jesus. Joshua followed Moses and became the leader. So it is pride to not want to learn from anybody. Life was designed to be very simple and easy. Just look for somebody who has done what you are aiming to do and learn from him or her. And can I add one more thing? You can never learn from somebody and criticize the person at the same time. Oh, this one is powerful. You can never learn from somebody and be criticizing the person at the same time. 
Pastor, what if the person is wrong? If he's wrong, you are not the one to criticize. Let somebody he is following do that job. So I have never criticized Dr. Otabo before. Never, ever. Dr. Otabo has a mentor, do you know? So those people should be criticizing him, not me. I mean, seriously, do you think it's a sensible thing to do? Look at the size of my church and look at Mensa Otabo. You think it is sensible for me to criticize him? No, you don't have any moral rights to criticize somebody who has done twice what you are trying to do once. You don't have any moral rights. And there are people I don't see as my students, pastors. Don't be deceived by titles. Not everybody calls you pastor is learning from you. Not everybody who is being called you daddy is learning from you. Sometimes people say daddy because they want food to eat. Sometimes people call you daddy because they genuinely respect you. You have to be able to discern between the two. Not every member of my church learns from me, and I know that very well. You don't need rocket science to do that. The fact that somebody can criticize you, find fault with you, condemn the things you do, it tells you he's not a follower. And if somebody is not following you, it shouldn't be part of, of your future plans. There are people you tolerate until you can eliminate. I think every leader should write that down. There are people you must tolerate until you can eliminate. You must have an eye for the people who, who are learning from you. Day and night, if you're a leader, you must have an eye. And can I say this to help you, pastors? Be careful how people give you the biggest titles. Oh, pastor, you are, not, you are the greatest apostle. Be careful about people like that. In fact, they are the ones who betray you most. <laughs> Everybody here, listen to me. Have an eye for the people who are learning, who are following. Somebody asked me, so pastor, if you, if, if you see something wrong with Pastor Kujo, what should you do? I'll go to him and I'll say, pastor, please, there's something I want to discuss with you. The other time I saw this and that, and with all due respect, I thought I should draw your attention to it. I leave it there. I've done that with my pastor several times, Pastor Eric. I've served under Pastor Eric for five years. Reverend Eric Hermeku, five years. I never had one misunderstanding with him. I'm, if he's here, I'll say it. Not once, but I have always gone to him in the office. And he loved me for that. He tells me, I say, Hubert is one of the people who never gossip about me. Because if something's bothering you, he'll just come and tell you. You know, in this church, I, I, I have people like that. I like them. Because they're always talking to me. The people who talk to you can never talk about you. Let me say that again. The people who talk to you can never talk about you. The people who hail you are the ones talking about you. Have an eye for people who want to truly learn from you. Nobody can be criticizing you and be learning from you at the same time. It's not possible. You, you are either or. You can never do the two. And um, that is very important. True leaders have followers. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. That means you must be able to model the right examples. Model the right examples. Okay, number six. The purpose of true leadership is to provide leaders. That means that leaders, as a leader, you have followers. But your goal is not to keep them forever as followers. Your goal is to what? Transform them into leaders. That's why Jesus, who said to the people, follow me. One day, he told Peter, he said, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. He said, go into other world. Teach the nations, make them disciples. Do you know who's a disciple? A student. The Great Commission is, is <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, it's a leadership mandate. Yeah. 
The Great Commission was a leadership. It's not, it's not just evangelism. He said, go to all the world and make disciples of the nations. In other words, everything I've taught you, you now know enough. Go and also teach it. Your leadership success is evaluated by how many followers that your followers are leading. Can I come again? Your leadership success is evaluated by how many what? Followers. Your followers are leading. Let me do an illustration. Pastor Francis, stand up. Pastor Francis used to be a member of this church. I can still remember the first time I met him. Very smallish, tiny brother. He used to sit around here. <laughs> and uh, he was going to write his second world war in uh, Wasi. The first day we met. I wish I took a picture of you. So that I can always remind you where we are coming from. But tell you what, he's no more that church member that is sitting there. He's now a pastor. But my leadership success is not in Francis, how well he follows me, but how many leaders he has been able to also produce. That is the evaluation of my leadership success. I am not a successful leader because I have many, many pastors here. I will be a successful leader when one day my leadership conference here, Pastor Francis can say that now his church has grown to 1,000 and he has produced over 100 leaders and probably he's holding his own leadership seminars in his church and he has written books on leadership. And can you imagine what will happen to me if all the pastors here plus more who couldn't make it today. One of the pastors who called me with writing exams today, he was so angry with the exams that he couldn't be here. <laughs> now, listen, when you develop leaders, you gain more. And I'm going to show it to you right now. Supposing all these pastors who came through my mentoring have each has grown a church of a thousand. How many of you know I can retire right now? I can retire and never be hungry because if Pastor Moses' church is thousand people and I come to preach, he cannot tell you that he saved Jenny. He says never. Yeah. One day I heard of a pastor who was asked to go on retirement at 75. The organization was asking him to go because he has overstayed. Do you know what that pastor did? He was angry. Why do you want to still be part this stressful work? Pastoral work is stressful. At 75, you still want to be doing this stressful thing? I've brought up members of my church who have started their own ministries. Pastor Bernard now has close to 20 pastors working under him. He was a member of my church. That is leadership success. Anytime I'm going to do program for Pastor Bernard, all the branches, they come. All the pastors, they come. When I go to KJB to do a program for Pastor Paul, Pastor Moses, I was there with you. I went to KJB with you, right? Yes. All the branches of the church, they come. And very soon, when I'm going to Pastor Adam's place in Golokwati, I mean, he would have opened a lot of churches. If I wish Pastor Francis well and I want his church to grow, eh, it is for my own good. So if you're a leader and you, you want to suppress your followers, you don't want them to rise. You don't want them to go forward. You see, this place used to be very hot when I rented a place for Prophet Samuel and I told him, fix AC. I, in fact, I personally tiled the place for him and paid how many did I pay for your meeting place? Two years. On the Spintex Road. Today, if I go to preach, he blesses me well. Why do you want your children to do less than yourself? That's witchcraft. 
I want to see people I've brought up preach better than me, do better than me. You know? Yes. I want to see pastors I've brought up more anointed than myself. It is to my credit. So I'm challenging you. Make people better than yourself. Give people advantages. Listen, nobody ever paid my Bible school fees before. Are you hearing me? Pastor Derek was very close to me when I was doing my first degree in theology. Ask him. Every, every opening semester, we had to start fasting. Because I had to do that course by faith. I started pastoring at the age of 27. 1998, I was 27 years. That was when I started my first church. And listen, it was with a lot of suffering. Hunger, days without food, all manner of painful experiences. I never knew I could get this far because of where I started. Are you hearing me? Today, most of the people you see here as pastors, I paid their Bible school, school fees. Pastor Joseph, I paid his fees at Bible school. Pastor Derek, I paid his fees first degree, Central University. I paid his fees. Pastor Francis has a first degree in theology. I paid his fees. Everybody you see around me have invested into their lives. When Pastor Moses was starting his church, I rented, I paid for the rent for how many years? Two years. I said, this is my seed into your church. I went with him to the place and I prayed for him. I said, let this church grow. And it's going to grow. Everybody that, I mean, because, listen, you just have to have people around you who are doing well. You must be happy. You must be happy. Today, I wanted Pastor Bernard to be here. He has a funeral today. A member of his church um, has lost, uh, I think, the spouse or something. Why would somebody want to travel from Crouching Quanta to come for a one-day seminar unless it's a relationship? And I learned this from people who brought me up. I'm blessed with leaders who want me to do better than them. Now, I was telling somebody something. Those of you who were at my 50th birthday, um, was it dinner or a lunch? Whatever. How many of you heard my pastor saying, I should go on radio, I should go on TV? Eh? You heard it? Now, you know he's not on radio. My pastor is not on radio. Do you know how I got to radio? He said, Hubert, go. So Hubert, go on radio. And, I, and up to today, he's been telling me, go on TV. But there are certain people, if they are your mentors, the first thing they'll tell you, they are, who do you think you are? Who born you? My pastor has pushed me to do things he has not done. Why? He told me, it's not, radio is not my area. He told, he told me, he said, Pastor Hubert, radio is not my area. He said, TV is not my area. He said, Hubert, you know my pastor does something. Every Sunday evening, he will go and listen to my preaching. Not to learn, but he's just happy what I'm doing. He's just happy. That's why I can have the confidence to do what I'm doing now. He doesn't do it. My pastor doesn't do... I mean, the pastor's retreat I'm doing, he doesn't do some. But if you're a leader, you must know exactly what you are called to do. And develop others to do what they are called to do. If you go to um, Crouching Quanta today, my son, Pastor Bernard, has a big prayer camp. And he's building lodging facilities where you can stay and have retreats. Now, the reason why I build a prayer camp is because he has a great deliverance ministry, which I don't have. In fact, sometimes when I have serious <laughs> deliverance problems, I have to call for him. Now, this is somebody who was a member of my church, stayed in my house. I brought him up. He has a ministry I don't have. He can literally drive demons out of anybody without any struggle. He just like, I mean, just, I said, how, why did you learn this thing from? He said, just natural. You just, you know, if you are born with something, 
you have the instincts for it. So every one of you here, one day I want you to be able to boast about people who pass through your hands and are great achievers, great achievers. You must have people in your church, pastors, who started with nothing. There are people in this church who will tell you they dared to do things because I challenged them to do it. And if I, if I must add to this, pastors, don't always pray for rich people to come and join your church. Develop people to become rich. Some of the poorest people in your church are multi-millionaires. Create great people. Believe in them. Encourage them. Inspire them. Challenge them. Pray with them. And give them direction. Number seven. Number seven. The key to great leadership is service. Leadership is a privilege, not a right to rule. Leadership is not a right. It is a privilege. That's why you must never take your followers for granted. The key to great leadership is what? Service. What does it mean to serve people? Meet their needs with the, the potential you have. Service doesn't mean sweep this place, even though sweeping is part of service. But the fact that you can sweep the church does not mean you are in service. The person who plays the keyboard and decides to develop himself to play it so well, everybody in the church is blessed by the playing of the keyboard, is also serving. The person who sits on the machine and makes sure that my sound is good is serving. If you are a pastor and you study a lot, you fast a lot, you pray a lot, and you come every week and you teach your people, inspire them, encourage them, minister to them, pray for them, you are also serving. As far as you are doing it without a charge, it's service. Service. The key to great leadership is that discover your unique potential, develop it, and use it to serve people. Jesus said, I did not come to rule, I came to serve. That's what he said in Mark 10, 42. He said, the worldly leaders, they rule. But in the kingdom, leadership is by service. He said, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. So let me say this. The best leaders are not the ones who are fighting for position everywhere they get to. The best leaders are the ones who are fighting for results everywhere they get to. Yeah, you know there are people, everywhere they get, the first thing they want to do is hijack the top position so that they can control everybody. But leadership is when you get to a place, what are the problems here? What can I do about it? You cannot do everything. What can I do about this? Happily go and just do something about it. Great leaders are, are lobbied to take up responsibility. Poor leaders, they impose themselves. Anytime you make yourself a leader anywhere, I mean, you have failed before you started. You have failed. If you are a true leader, people must put you there. When Saul died, David had been told by Samuel. In fact, anointed by Samuel, you are the next king. But when King Saul died, David never went to take the throne. Do you know what he did? He stayed at home. And all the men of Judah, they came to him and they said, be our king. That is leadership. And then they gave him the reason. It's in 2 Samuel. Somebody open 2 chapter, Samuel chapter 2. Okay, it's here. And it happened after, after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Now, this should tell you, at this time, David was not in town. <laughs> you know why? Because Saul was chasing him all over the place. So David has taken his 
permanent abode in the bush, hiding in caves and mountains and all that. And over there, he developed an army. Now, this army that David developed, it was a bunch of outlaws and people distressed and people owing and have run away from town because of creditors and, and, and all that. And, and then a bunch of mercenaries also came to join him. And David had a big army, but he was not in town. So after Saul died, he prayed. This is a prayer he prayed. He said, shall I go up to Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go up? And the Lord said to him, to where? To Hebron. Okay, verse 2. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Camelite. And David brought up the men who were with him. So a lot of people were with him in the bush. He was still a leader long before he was made king. David was a leader long before he ascended the throne. In fact, he ascended the throne because he was already a leader. And he brought up all the men who were with me, every man and with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. At this time, he still didn't go for the throne. And let me tell you, at this time, David has killed Goliath. So he was a well-known champion. So David had influence long before he ascended the throne. And after killing Goliath, Saul brought him to his palace to lead, to be a captain over his, money, over his army. And David has won a lot of battles. So he already had influence. I want you to be concerned about influence more than titles. Titles will not put any money in your pocket. Title will not add any value to your life. Title will only give you emotional gratification. You feel good about yourself. Yeah, I'm the boss. But you are broke and poor. You see, men of influence are wealthy people. They are rich people. Yeah, men of titles have nothing. Let me say it better. Men of influence employ men of titles to work for them. That's why the business owner employs a CEO. The CEO is on paycheck. The business owner is not on salary. He owns the whole company. I mean, influence is money, is wealth. Influence will make you rich. So there was a man who was sick at the world, and people were trooping in, trooping in, people carrying things, people carrying money, people were carrying, um, how do you call it, baskets and things. And almost every minute, people are trooping in. And the nurses were saying, who is this guy at all? And the kind of people who were coming to the hospital, you can tell from their faces and how they look, they were not poor people. Another time, there was another man who was sick. Nobody came. So the nurses were wondering, where is his wife? Where are his children? Where are his friends? Where are his relatives? That's the difference between influence and a title. Now, they found out that the guy who was sick and people were coming and coming and coming and coming. He was not the manager of any company. He was not a big title holder, but he was so good to many, many, many people in his lifetime. The other guy that nobody came was an MD, but he was divorced. If all you have is a title, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you, a day is coming, you will suffer. You will suffer. Verse 4, then the men of Judah came. I want you to see it from here. The men of Judah did what? They came. If you are good, a good leader, you don't look for followers. Followers come after you. Yeah, that's why I was telling you people that I invited a lot of pastors, but there are some pastors I did not invite. We'll close before I find out from them how they came. Are you with me? Because I did not advertise this program on our district platform or anywhere. If you are a good leader, you don't look for followers. People follow you. 
the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabez Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. After this, time will not permit me to If you read on, you'll see that after he was anointed king over Judah, after some time, the rest of the tribes also came. And they said, David, we want you to be our king. When you serve people, they will follow you. Listen, people may not like you, but they cannot ignore your, your good service. Haven't you taken your car to a mechanic you don't like? The guy is good. You can't do anything about it. He's the best in the area. You may not like his looks, but the quality he produces will make you go there. Haven't you been badly treated at a chop bar and you went again? Because the food, you just couldn't resist it. The last principle, the key to leadership success is your ability to lead yourself. Wow. Let's talk about leadership capacity. When we say capacity, it means the maximum quantity, the maximum amount anybody can take is capacity. All right? Okay. One of the most profound and most outstanding leadership lessons in the Bible was taught to Moses by Jethro in the book of Exodus 18. Exodus 18 from 21 and 22. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So this scripture is saying that there are different leadership capacities. Now, Dr. Otabo argues that if you read the whole of King James Bible, you will never see the, the word million. All numbers ended at thousand. In fact, a few times in the book of Daniel and Revelation, you will hear thousands, thousands, or thousands of thousands. Why? Because the word million was a new vocabulary that came after those days. Are you following me? So I believe that if Moses was teaching, sorry, if Jethro was teaching Moses by now, he would have probably added a captain of a million. There are different leadership capacities. Everybody say leadership capacity. Now, this means that the amount of following you can have, the amount of leadership ability you have, depends on your leadership capacity. Okay? So it brings me to the point I made earlier, that you can never grow your organization beyond your level of leadership. So the size of your organization is telling you your leadership capacity. Your sphere of influence is telling you that. So it also means that if you want to see expansion in anything you are doing, appoint people with a bigger leadership capacity because they can handle more. That's why sometimes in any organization, you, you see the organization grows and it gets stuck. Or a particular department of the organization grows and gets stuck. In fact, even church, it happens. Sometimes in a church, like I said, church starts with volunteers. But at a certain point, you want systems and structures, processes and procedures. But you see that some developments are growing. Some de de department gets stuck. Sometimes the best department when the church is five years will become the worst department when the church is ten years. Unless you change the leader. Because... Everybody will grow his space to the level of his leadership capacity. I want to say that if you don't like how your organization is performing, or you don't like what is happening anywhere you lead, you have to develop your leadership capacity. 
you have to improve, you have to expand it. The first level is that the rulers of 10 or captains of 10. That means that he can take between only groups of 10 people. If you give him more than 10, it will explode. And there are certain departmental leaders who are doing well with only 10 people. So if the church is a 1,000 and that department must grow up to 200 people, that's a problem. That's a problem. He'll fight everybody out unless you change him. So as the church grows or as the organization grows, you have to be able to examine and do an assessment of the leadership capacity of the people you are working with. Captain of 10 are leaders of small groups and they are positional leaders. Positional, do you know a positional leader? A title, intercessory leader, ushering leader, choir leader, sound department leader, that's all. But beyond the title, what have you done? What are you doing? If all you do is a pastor, if all you are is just a pastor, you are a captain of 10. And captain of 10 means that he can have small other groups of 10 and take a maximum of 49 people. That means if you give him 49 people, he cannot lead all of them together. He has to break it down. 10 here, 10 here, 10 here, and then he can lead them. The second level is captain of 50. Captain of 50. A captain of 50 can lead only a group of 50 people. That means if the people are more than 50, he has to segregate them into smaller groups of 50. And the maximum number of people he can handle is 99. Uh -huh. And these are people who have positional leadership and they are also relational. They can relate with people, but they have no competence and they are not good communicators and, 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 and they, they don't have very good character. So captain of 50. The next one is captain of 100. Captain of 100s are leaders of large groups because they can lead 200 people, 300 people, 400 people, but they cannot lead 1,000 people. So these people are competent, they are relational. People follow because of your achievement. That means that these people have great competence. Captain of hundreds have great competence. They are great achievers. They don't only have positional leadership, but they also have um, leadership by re good relationship. You know, but their capacity is limited by other deficiencies, like ability to create systems and structures. Now, captain of um, hundreds also do not know how to develop great leaders to work with. Because by the time you want to lead 1,000 people, you need more great leaders on the ground who can also equally be handling other greater um, responsibilities under you. What I'm saying is that, you see, a captain of 50 can have a captain of 10 working under him. You follow it. But if you're a captain of 100, the only leaders you, that can work under you are what? Captain of 10 and captain of 50s. Anybody with a great leadership capacity who is like a captain of 100 cannot work under you. You fight him until they leave you. So some pastors cannot ha handle certain members. Why? Your leadership capacity is very, very small. And uh, if that person stays in your church, there's going to be too much issues for you. That's why some employees leave organizations because the system does not accommodate certain abilities. You know, there are some churches, if you are a pastor, that you cannot do what I'm doing now. They will say only the general overseer has a right to do this. You know, you know what SGC is the way it is? You know, there are people can, who should have been their own general overseers, like Reverend Anthony Kujo, like Prophet Christofano, like Reverend Eric Hegemeku, and all those people are big guys in their own respect. But the system accommodates great leadership capacity. 
So I don't need to go start my own church to do the things I'm doing. To write my books, be on radio, do my pastoral training programs and do all the things I'm doing. <laughs> the system accommodates me. There's a ministry you can't even travel without permission. Like from here to your hometown and come, you need to ask permission. How many people can you lead with that kind of system? So captain of hundreds, then we have captain of thousands. A captain of thousands is leaders of great organizations. I believe, I pray that you come there. I mean, global organizations today are led by people at this level. Yeah, that means you must not just be a positional leader. You must also know how to relate with people well. Yeah, you must know how to produce competence, achieve great results. You must know how to communicate. You must know how to model the right example by your character. Beyond that, you must understand the place of strategy. You must understand the place of, of, of systems and processes and, and the whole um, dynamics of organizational development. You must know a lot about it. So leadership capacity is so important because you are a departmental leader here. The question I want to ask is that if your church grows five times bigger than the way it is now, can you still lead a department? Or you become a headache on the pastor? Last Thursday, a pastor was talking about how to remove a troublesome leader. And it became an interest for all the pastors. Because there's no way your church will grow and you not come into that position. Departmental leaders who refuse to grow, refuse to move, refuse to work, refuse to do anything, you know, and they are just there. Yeah, and you know why people get to that point? Because they have hit the wall. They have, they have hit the roof. They have exhausted the maximum capacity. And they are short of ideas. They don't know what next to do. And instead of humbling yourself to learn more, to develop, they turn all the frustration on the pastor. Yeah, that's why if, if you are a pastor, you see that there are leaders in your church. Every new thing you introduce, they fight it. They like the church to be the way it is now, as it was in the beginning so shall it ever be now and forevermore. Amen. There are leaders you have who don't want to see progress. They don't want to see change. But there's got to be change. Any system that is not changing will die. I want to end it here today and take some few questions. If you have any questions for me. Thank you. Yeah, there's a hand up here. Good you, afternoon, can, sir. You, you can sit and ask your questions. Yeah. Good afternoon. Thank you. Yeah. As a leader, how do you stay motivated for it to also become motivating to others? How do you stay motivated, motivated for it to also become motivating to others? To others. Okay, so you must have a vision. You must have a vision. So where do you lead? If you lead in a church, find out from your pastor, what is the vision for the church? When you find out the vision for the church, then you create a vision for your department that aligns to the vision of the church. Your vision is what inspires and challenges you. Number two, motivation is look for other, another place where what you want to create in your department, you look for a place where it is happening. So, for example, if, let me just do an illustration. If you are the ushering leader, you have developed a vision for your ushering, ushering department, look for a church that the ushering department there is excellent. And these days, you can even get such a church outside the country. Because most churches are online now. So, these things become the motivation for yourself. That challenge you more. To, because there has to be a ref, reference point for motivation. I can hear you. My second question. Uh -huh. 
how do you turn around an organization mm -hmm. or department that is not doing too well? Maybe you've been given an organization, you initially have like 30 people, like you mentioned, and then we realize things are not going well. The numbers keep coming down. How do you turn around? Okay, so it was there and you were put in charge. You were put in charge. Well, that's a tough work to do. But you can do that by changing the culture in the whole organization. Because every organization is driven by its culture. So you have to try and change the culture. And one way you do it is by, number one, like I said, communicate clearly a new vision for the department, that this is what we want to achieve. And these are the benefits we'll get if we are able to do it. Number two, you have to begin to establish um, systems that are different from what is there before. That means procedures and practices. From now on, we will not do things like this. We will do it like this. You are not telling them, telling them you are changing the system, but you just introduce new practices. Because a culture of any place is a result of practices, procedures, and processes, to summarize. Okay? So once you begin to, I mean, establish in a very creative way, because what I'm saying is not as easy as I'm saying it. People fight anything new you are introducing, but you have to be very decisive. You have to be very intentional. And then you have to be expecting such things in the first place. And, but when you are able to, uh, in a very deliberate way, initiate um, di different, um, how do you call it, practices and procedures and systems in the place, you see that with time, you are moving the people away from old practices that is producing these negative results. Because every result you see is an effect of a certain cause. So if you, if you deal with a cause, you will get different effects. And, and you must be a good communicator. If you want to transit an organization, you must, they, they must, you must be able to talk a lot. You must be able to convince people. One of the important leadership skills you need there is negotiation, ability to negotiate, I mean, with people, to be able to understand. You know, the reason why people resist change in an organization is because they feel it's going to demand more sacrifices from them. Number two, it's going to make them lose certain benefits the old system was giving them benefit that they fear they may lose. Okay? Yeah. So, I mean, change is a difficult thing, uh, but it is possible. It has happened in a lot of places. And it must happen in our churches. Thank you, Pastor, for this wonderful presentation. I'm, I'm really blessed. Um, you made mention of under character. Okay. You made mention of learning how to invest into people. And then you continued by saying that we shouldn't invest or give to everybody, yeah. especially people who do not value. Yeah. My question is related to whether we should take time to help the people we are investing in mm -hmm. to understand the value of what we are doing or yeah. adding to them before giving them what we want to or we should just give to them. 
And I'm asking this question based on experience. Okay. Many times in church, somebody gives something to somebody, is expecting that the person will use their thing this way. The person doesn't use it. You get offended mm. and you are talking about it. And in our church, I know people who stopped church because they said, uh, I give this to this person. The person didn't use it. I spoke about it. The person got angry. So um, that is the basis why I want you to clarify this portion. Thank okay, you. Sir. Okay, thank you. Um, I think giving must be taught well. It's not composite that if you give to somebody, the person should use it by all means. Giving must be taught as a principle, a practice that gives you blessings. If you give to me with a good heart, whether I use it or not, you get a blessing for giving it to me. Yeah, because you see, as a pastor, you are teaching people to give. So somebody brought you 10 shirts. As an example to what you are teaching, there's nothing wrong with taking two of the shirts and give to another brother in the church. Okay, what if 10 people brought you one shirt each and you are not able to use all the 10 shirts? Maybe you use five, but you give five. Eventually, some of the people give you the shirts. What they also don't know is that after they brought you one, somebody also brought one and it became plenty. You see, and sometimes you can have a lot of things and you see somebody is in need. So, giving is a blessing because you gave it with a good heart. It is not compulsory that when people give in the church, then somebody must, they must follow up to find out whether the person used it or not. So sometimes people don't use something, not because they don't value it, but because we also must give. So giving must be a ripple um, um, process, okay? But then um, sometimes to, it's difficult to even know whether somebody's going to value what you give before you give. It's difficult because sometimes a person comes to you in need and that's the first time here the person has come. So why not? Just do it. If it's within your means to do it, do it. But I'm talking about people that you have come to know over time that they don't value what you do for them. You stop. Don't do more. You know, the mistake some of us do is that the person doesn't value, so let me do more. If I do more, he will value it. Please, if the person doesn't value one, he will not value ten, he will not value a hundred, he will not value a thousand. Once the person played down on the one, ignore the, ignore the person. Go and put it where somebody will value it, treasure it, and maximize it. That's why, you know, you know in the parable of the talents, Jesus said that the person was giving one. He went and buried it. And when the master came, he took it from him and gave it to the one who had ten, who had five, and doubled it to become ten. That's the principle. Somebody would have said, oh, maybe I gave him one. That's why he didn't. So let me give him five. Lifestyle is a lifestyle. Ingratitude is a lifestyle. People live. They never appreciate anything. In fact, there are people in your lifetime, you will kill yourself, cut off your head for them. They will still not appreciate it. And there's nothing you can do. It's not because you are a bad person. It's because that's how the person is. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. Talking about the value, um, mm -hmm. Pastor, what about... I'm, I'm just thinking, well, that maybe the person even 
doesn't know how to value because of the person's upbringing, mm -hmm. because of the psychological mindset of the person. Mm -hmm. So in this case, if I'm a leader and I notice that I've done something for someone mm -hmm. and a person is not valuing it, mm -hmm. then I take the pain to maybe teach the person. Teach the person. Is it right or is it, in a, is it in the right direction? Yes, that is what yes. I want. it's good to teach people um, to value what you are doing for them and to even explain to them why you are doing it, okay? Yeah. But there are people, after all the teaching and everything, they will still not value it. That is the sad thing about life. So in that case, there's, there's not much you can do. Uh, my question is about um, maybe you are an illiterate mm -hmm. and you are into a business. You want to grow the business. And now you are talking about uh, reading studying, learning from people who are experts, who have grew their businesses to a level. How will I learn? Okay. I'm an illiterate. Okay, so um, two ways. Uh, an illiterate who want to grow his business to be great can do that by employing people who are very learned, and who are very competent business leaders and trusts the business into their hands. He can do certain things. You see, there are people, every now and then you meet people who can start a business and grow it big, even though they are not educated. Have you seen that before? Yes, but at a certain level, and I've seen this all the time, after they've grown it to a certain level, they still want to run it. And that's where the mistake is. At a certain level, you need to bring in consultancy. You need to bring in people, okay, who can move it to the next level because there is no excuse for ignorance. At a certain level, an organization will never grow without the requisite expertise because, I mean, you want to run an organization that is employing 100 to 200 employees. You need an HR expert. Otherwise, you employ all the wrong people. You know, uh -huh. so, so you need, you need a, I mean, a very competent finance person to manage the, the finance area. You need people in strategic marketing to help you and give you the right advice about, because, you know, when you start a small business, you are growing it. You know, some people, they are just talented. They touch anything, they can grow it up to a point. But when business gets to a place where it is becoming an established organization, the, ex the requisite expertise must play. But another thing I will advise that some people who are eager to learn, themselves will make themselves illiterate. Yeah, so you go to adult literacy, learn how to read, and then they grow from there. And I've, and I've met people who, who have done that. Never been to school. Do you know Jacob Zuma never went to school? Jacob Zuma never went to school. He, he educated himself. Yes, so there are people who, who haven't gone to school, but they learn adult literacy and then they started learning from people. And today, once you can understand English, you can learn a lot without even knowing how to read. Because some of the, most of the best books in the world have audio versions on YouTube. So it starts from, I mean, listening to the audio books. Most of the best um, experts on any field in the world, they're on YouTube. And then on podcasts. So I tell people, <laughs> now 
Anything you want to learn, if you are really serious about learning it, you can learn it. You can learn a lot about business on the internet. Then number three, mentoring. You can look for other successful business people in our country. And you go to them. And you say, well, I want to learn. Sometimes you may not get the right response the first time, but if you are in, if insistent and if you cannot just go to somebody who is a great business leader, he's busy and will have time for you, you have to make the person have time for you. That means that you have to start learning how to get a person's attention. Okay? Yeah. Get, a, get people's attention. You can get people's attention in different ways. One of the ways is that find out his birthday and buy him a gift on his birthday. And go personally. If you didn't meet him, leave your name. It starts from the Christmas. Go and visit him with another gift. That's how I got to get close to people. You must know how to get their attention. Then you learn. It's not good to say, I'm literate. I didn't go to school. So this is how my, my life is forever. In fact, in itself, it's not a good thing to do. You must ask yourself. You know, Archbishop Duncan Williams, he never went to school. In fact, when he was in Bible school, he could not read or write. So there is exam time. They read the questions and he answers orally. That's how he did his exams at uh, Benin City, at Idaosa's um, Bible School. He, 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 he could not read or write. When he started preaching after Bible school, it was broken English. But he was speaking it. <laughs> preaching it by force. Today, when he's talking, some of the learned people admire the way he, his communication skills. So you have to push yourself from somewhere. Even people who are literate. I've met people at the town telling pastor, you know, it's not easy. Reading is difficult for me and all that. Because we, you see, reading is not about reading the whole day. You know, like, most people are reading the whole Bible in my church now. How did we do it? 30 minutes every day. 30 minutes every day. And we are reading the whole Bible in six months. Just 30 minutes every day. So if you can get out of 24 hours per day, can you create 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening to just read every day? You'll be surprised how many books you can read in a year. If you can just do that. So you must be intentional about wanting to learn more and to know more. And every leader must push himself to know more. You have another question? My second question is about uh, maybe you are a leader in a, an organization or a department. Mm. There is a subordinate who maybe you are doing, a, you are working on something. Like in my organization where I work, mm. you are working on something. And a subordinate brings up an idea that, uh, please, uh, Chief Inspector, can I do this? Can I adapt this idea? Can you say that you are the leader, you ignore it, or you take it up? Is it wrong? Is it right? No, it's not wrong if it's a good idea. If it's a good idea, you take it and you implement it. And if the outcome comes and is good, it's to your credit. In fact, some people will not even know that it was a subordinate who brought the idea. So one of the things that you do to develop other leaders is to open up for alternative views, provided it is the right thing. Okay, sometimes people will bring up ideas that is good, but it's not timely. The timing is not good. It's not strategic, so you cannot implement it. But you need to explain to the people. Uh -huh. So in this church now, I do a lot of things by borrowing ideas from people. But, but it doesn't mean I take everybody's advice. I sit down sometimes with my pastors, 
and I let everybody make contribution towards how we run this church. And then the things that I cannot do, I let them know, and I explain to them why this one will not work. It is only leaders who are insecure who don't take adv- uh, suggestion from their subordinates or followers. They don't take anything. It's me alone. If it's me, it's final. Yeah. But then I'm also saying that advice must not come from everybody. It must come from an informed position. So if I am doing something in this church that is finance-related, I have a finance experts in this church. I talk to them. If it's health-related, I have doctors in the church. I talk to them. It's a project issue. I have engineers and people into construction. If it is a management issue, my problem is you have a legal issue and you have lawyers in the church who are advising you do it like this. Then you have somebody who is, uh, let's say, a health professional trying to contradict what a lawyer is saying. And it's only in church these things happen. You see, everybody wants to talk about everything. But if you're a pastor, you must be intentional not to allow that to happen. Everybody cannot talk about everything. Yeah. Uh, so, sometimes, sometimes some members even want to show you what you should preach. These days, pastor is not preaching about this and this and that. Pastor should preach it this way, preach it that way. You know, and the person is not a pastor. You know, so, so, so listening to ideas is good. But it must come from um, a place of expertise. Now, let me add something else to this. You see, if you have an, an alternative idea to what your leader is proposing, make sure that alternative idea is going to bring a better result, not the same result. You know, I heard people come to me, talk to me about what they think I should do, which is the thing they, they suggest is better than what I'm doing. But when I analyze the outcome with them, the result is the same. If you have an alternative idea for me, it must give me better results than what I'm going to get with my proposed idea. Yeah. So it's not, it's not you know, there are some people by nature, I, I have seen them to be people who don't ever follow any proposed idea. They will want to, they will want to push their own agenda all the time, even if that is going to give you the same results. Uh-huh. And it's also a sign of insecurity, and you must be mindful of that. You want to do things this way, he said, oh, do it that way. Uh, analyze the outcome. Is it going to make, give me a better result or not? If, it's, if, it's not? if it's going to give me the same result, why are you proposing it? Unless you think you are wiser than your leader. And sometimes there are, there, are, there are ways people will tell you that you are stupid without necessarily insulting you. Yeah, they tell you you are stupid because everything you say, they tell you they have a, they have a better um, idea than what you are saying. And if you, if you analyze what they are saying, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, have I answered you? Okay. Any hands? Any more hands? Okay. Doc. Okay. Um, so, how do you create the balance uh, to avoid unnecessary or undue competition among members who are potential leaders on the equal platform? Very good question. Are you done? Yes. How do you and avoid competition? How do you create? Okay. Celebrate everybody's uniqueness. 
Everybody doesn't have everything. Celebrate everybody's uniqueness and help people to know how to complement each other's weaknesses with their strengths. So Dr. Chan says that in your strategic leadership structure, you must have people who are thinkers. See, there are people, they can't do much, but they can think a lot. They, they sit down, and when they come out, and they talk to you like, brilliant, I, they'll be wondering, I mean, what is inside his brain? But there are thinkers. There are also people who are not thinkers, but they are great organizers. You know, okay? They don't have any idea, but throw the idea at them, they take it, and they make it happen. Okay, so they are organizers, okay? And then there are also people who are um, active performers. There are people who are on the, on, the, on the job all the time. They are on the run. They, are, they, are, they have energy. They, 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 their strength is in their energy. They just work. But you, 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 need, to, you need somebody to provide the requisite ideas and then somebody else to create the plan for them to be able to work well. So you have different people. Now, competition arises when you start celebrating one and condemning the other. Even at home, it happens. If you have two, three children, if you're only praising the one who gets first at school all the time, you condemn the one who has last. You see, your child may be having last, but he has a great potential. But it's not in the area of academics. So... Celebrate all your children equally and help them to know he may not be good in academics, but he's good maybe in public speaking or maybe he's great. Uh, 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 Kiyosaki says that, I mean, by and large, the grade A, A students are all working for grade C students, by the way. <laughs> by and large. No, it's not 100% true, but... Okay? So, so God will bring you different people. Uh, and look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Twelve people. Look at the variety of abilities there. Peter. Talk, talk, talk without thinking. And then Judas Iscariot is there. Matthew was the great uh, analytic guy, finance expert. I mean, James and John were there. People just, they, they have terrible anger. Very volatile. But Jesus, he was able to get all of them to work together without any sense of competition. For example, the closest person to Jesus among the disciples was who? John. But you know, when he was leaving, he didn't make John the leader. <laughs> he made Peter the leader. So it's not even about closeness. It's about competence. John couldn't lead the church, you know? But Peter could lead. You know, the first preaching on the church on the day of Pentecost, you know how hot it was? Dr. Chan said John couldn't have preached like that. John would have said, beloved, let us love one another. <laughs> and Peter looked at them and said, this Jesus Christ whom you crucified, you wicked people, he's the one, he's the one that God has raised from the dead. So repent and your sins will be forgiven you. That is it. So you have to, and, and another, uh, Dr. Berko, this question is so important. I hope we are all listening. Another way to remove competition is to help everybody on the team to develop their own unique potential. Amen? They must what? Discover their potential, and then they must develop it. So that's it. So that at the end of the day, you make everybody know they are not absolute. 
Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. My question is: If you're a leader huh. and you realize that your capacity is a captain over fifty, mm -hmm. are you supposed to focus on the fifty and make sure you are developing them, or there's a chance you can increase your capacity to manage hundred or thousand? Yeah, you can increase. You can increase your capacity, and everybody must challenge himself to increase. Amen. And one of the ways to do that is what we are doing here. Attend very good leadership seminars and conferences to study more about leadership. Number two, you have to find other alternative ways to develop your leadership skill. Okay? Uh -huh. So you have to um, um, get a lot of training. I mean, I can just summarize to say you need to learn more. Because all about leadership skill is what you know is what you are doing. So if what you are doing is not enough, you just need to learn more. And the place you learn it is not from people below you or people at your level, but people above you. Yes, that means that the purpose of friendship is not mentoring. The purpose of friendship is to challenge one another and sharpen one another. Bible says iron sharpen iron. But the fact that you are pastor friends is not enough. You need people above you who have a greater leadership capacity than yours. So as you model after them and learn from them, you expand your leadership capacity. Have I answered you? Just as you gave the example about John and uh, Peter, mm -hmm. John was the closest to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so maybe humanly speaking, you should think that John should be put there. Mm -hmm. And maybe John, too, seeing the relationship he had built with Jesus for some time, mm -hmm. would know definitely if yeah. the, my friend is not in, I should. Okay. Then all of a sudden, Jesus chose Peter. Peter. Mm -hmm. And by all means, humanly speaking, mm -hmm. John would have made some, caused some troubles. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with such No, I don't think John caused any trouble. I said, humanly uh, speaking. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. It, it comes back to everything I taught today. Uh -huh. If I are a leader, you have 12 followers, and you teach all of them what leadership is, then one position will not become an issue. Because Peter being put as the head of the church, is that positional. It doesn't mean John is not equally a great leader. Look at the things John did in his lifetime. In fact, I mean, I mean, there are things, if you study church history, in Ephesus, for example, the, the temple of Diana, huh? Paul couldn't overthrow that temple. John did. By the time John pastored at Ephesus, that temple of Diana was totally destroyed. So if you are good followers and you understand leadership, by the time Jesus is leaving, they should all have known that it is not about the position. You see, that's why I was teaching the whole day. It's not about the position. It's about the influence and the impact that you made. Okay? So let's take ourselves to the classroom. We have class prefect or course reps in the university. Do we take a course rep from a, a, a senior place or within the same class? Same class. Okay, so why do we have a course rep? Order. At least there should be order. The person who 
So leader, so position actually does not mean somebody is above you. For example, in a football team, in a football team, 11 players, but there has to be a captain. It doesn't mean the captain is above the rest of the 11 players. In fact, the best of captains know they are not above. Because sometimes the best player is not the captain. Is it not like that in most teams? Yeah. So the issue is that if you are John and all your aim is a title, then you have failed before you started. Okay? So what Jesus, I believe Jesus did was to help everybody to know you all have a great calling and you need to develop this calling. And when the anointing comes upon you, you must push yourself and work hard and achieve a lot. What about Paul? Apostle Paul was not even there to say he was even not close. He was not there at all. But when Jesus called him on the road to Damascus, without any title or anything, look at what he achieved. I mean, more than some of the guys that we even know were there. We, we don't know what Bartholomew did. We don't know what uh, Thomas did, except that he doubted Jesus. We, as for Judas Iscariot, let's not even talk about him. There are a lot of the 12 that we never heard much about them. But look at what Paul did. Half of the New Testament, the whole of Asia and Europe, he conquered it with the gospel. Without necessarily the title. In fact, if you read the book of 2 Corinthians, you see that Paul's apostleship was even challenged. The, the Corinthians, some of the rebels in Corinth were challenging Paul. They said he was not among the 12, so he's not a true apostle. That's why he wrote about the apostleship. But he did, he did such a great work. Between a title and influence, I believe we should go for influence. I'm telling you, yeah. Because that's what leaves a legacy. So if you are a good leader, in the first place, you must teach your followers so well, they must never be interested in titles. They must never be interested in positions. You must teach them what true leadership is. Yeah. yeah. Now, let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Undisputed, undisputedly, by our standard, the most, the most influential Christian leader in Africa now, the most impactful is who? In Africa now. Sorry? Do you all agree? Hello? Do you all agree, Pastor Adeboe? If you don't agree, it means you don't even know Adeboe. I mean, there's nobody in his class. But what is his title, Pastor? Do you know Pastor Adeboe is a mathematics professor? Unilab. Mathematics professor. He doesn't even use it. And yet he's still so influential. He's still so influential. I mean, you cannot hear of Adeboye without paying attention. Everybody respects him. Presidents of nations. But you will meet small, small, small boys. Reverend Dr. Bishop. General. Reverend Dr. Bishop. See, now they have senior bishop. And they have cardinal. And then uh, I had a, recently I had a... One very interested title, uh, I, no, 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 uh, Canon. I had a man who called himself Reverend Dr. Canon something. I said, hey, what are we looking for at all? <laughs> I mean, look at some of the greatest men of God. Pastor Chris, Pastor 
Otabel. You know we call Dr. Otabel, Dr. Otabel, but I, I tell you, you listen to him and see, you will never hear him calling himself Dr. Otabel. Pastor Otabel. Because listen, <laughs> if the title is not enough for you, increasing it will not change anything. <laughs> I learned a long time ago, God said he will make Abraham's name great, not his title. A good name is better than riches. So influence is your, when your name becomes powerful. Huh? When your name becomes so powerful, that is influence. Not your titles. Not your titles. Not your positions. All right. Uh, uh, any more questions? Thank you, Pastor. Uh-huh. Please, um, in the presentation, there is um, under um, character, mm-hmm. there is generosity. Okay. And you gave us an example of um, you helping the pastor all the way. For him, we know that um, he was already following you. I should say following you before you started helping him. Um, pastor, the one you said come from far. Okay, so let me hear your question. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. So how do you help somebody who mm-hmm. is not a follower? Mm-hmm. Or how do you help somebody for the person not to feel manipulated? Because under influence, it's when you have followers without... Manipulation. Yes. So how do you do it that they don't feel manipulated or something like that? Yeah, I get your question. So do good to people not because you want them to return any gratitude. You do it because that's your lifestyle. And and let me tell you, the time I paid Professor Moore's rent, he was not a close person to me. We just knew each other. I met him. I was going to preach somewhere. And I met him, and he visited me once in a while. He was not even in this church. He was in another church. Pastor Joshua, the same thing. He just used to visit the church. I did not have any close relationship like we have now. I just saw him. I felt, no, why should a pastor do be in this condition? So it's not an issue of uh, being, that's what I said, value must direct how you help people. It's not an issue of you know the person long time, or you. In fact, the time I paid Professor Moss rent the first time, I did not even know he would come and work under me. I with, I with me, yes, yes. And if, if that was the reason, I, w- I shouldn't have released him to go and start a church. You know, yeah. So you help people with their own interest at heart. You don't help people to get them to be under you. I don't know whether you get me. You see, if you are helping people, it is for their own interest sake, not for your personal gain. If it's for your personal gain, then it's becoming manipulative. You help people for their own good and you leave it there. Yeah. Have I answered you? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. You want to ask a question? Last question. Last question. Pastor, thank you for your presentation. Uh, This question is a real case at my office. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a boss who has gone on pension. Mm -hmm. And another boss was employed to occupy his space. And he started working very well. We are all happy working under him. And then he showed up that he has been given a contract. Mm -hmm. So in that case, how will you serve the two bosses? I don't understand. 
he showed you that he sh- the, the former boss showed up that he has been given a contract the former boss yes the one on pension uh-huh. showed up at the workplace that he has been given a contract that means he's not gone he, he, he's gone and, and he's, come he's back. pushing for a contract so oh, that finally one, that one you cannot do anything about it. it's up to the organization <laughs> if they want to take him back no you see it's an example of bad leadership you see if you are a bad leader your retirement, you won't know what to do with your life. Yes, that's for all of you. Please, are you following me? If you don't have good leadership skills, when you retire, you will start looking for contracts. I'm telling you. And never you put yourself there. At retirement, you must have so much to do. Your hands must be full of work. That's why people die early, because by 65, he's wake up, he doesn't have anything to do, he's at home, taking his pension, all the money is finished. Then he starts counting his days. By 70, he wants to die. Now, if you have a lot to do, at 80, I was watching Pastor Deboy at 80, still preaching. I said, yes, this is, this is life. Leave, that, leave your boss to the organization to decide um, what to do with him. All right, so let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I pray for everyone who has taken time to sit under this teaching today to learn. I pray for everyone as we are departing from here, increase of wisdom, increase in understanding. Teach and guide your people in everything that they do. I pray the spirit of excellence upon everyone. Lord, whatever leadership capacity everyone is in, I pray for your guidance that will cause them to prevail and excel beyond the level of their present capacity. I pray for expansion and enlargement in everything that they do. In the name of Jesus, I destroy every plan and every agenda of Satan against their lives, against their ministries, against their career. I pray for all the pastors that have come today. I pray that their churches will experience a new dimension of the visitation of God, an increase of grace and power, and the blessing of God in everything that they do. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.